0: Welcome back to the podcast folks This is conversations with the mind Yes you are in the right place And I'm your host Shane LeMaster I want to start off by thanking all of you listeners Your continued listenership means so much to us So please continue to listen And tell your friends and family about the podcast That's how we spread this conversation And we get others involved in the conversation So thank you, thank you, thank you Also, please continue to like and share all of our posts when we put these up on social media. It is through your help that we get this message out. Our reach is only so far, but with your help, we can reach so many more people. So please continue to like and share. And if you like the content that you're hearing in these podcasts, please feel free to donate. There is a link at the bottom of whatever podcast app that you're using. Please feel free to donate to that if you find this information valuable in any way. Any amount of donation is accepted. And we appreciate everything that you are willing to donate, even if it's a dollar, even if it's five dollars. Please donate to the podcast. All proceeds go back into it to make the message better for you and please check out our youtube page support and subscribe to the mindops youtube page where we break down a number of these concepts and you can find videos on all sorts of topics that we have created so please check it out and here is a word from our sponsor the conversations with the mind podcast is sponsored by mindops.com. You can find us at wwwmind We're an eclectic counseling company providing mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, military through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist-Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We are available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. And now to the good news story. Our good news story today comes from the Good News Network, as always. You can find these stories at goodnewsnetwork.org. And today's title reads, Oil rig workers come to the rescue of exhausted dog found swimming 135 miles from shore. This was an amazing story. Um, A lucky dog was rescued by some oil rig workers um, after they found him just treading water 135 miles from shore uh, in the Gulf of Thailand last week. Um, No one could figure out how the dog got 135 miles away from shore Uh, what they were doing out there alone, um, and how long the dog had been out there. But uh, these oil rig workers rescued him. Uh, It was great. Took him to the vet, and the vet said that uh, besides, you know, having experienced some trauma from being left out there, uh, the dog was in relatively good shape. Um, And no one has come forward yet to claim the dog, so... So far, the uh, oil workers are saying that if nobody comes forward, they would be glad to um, rescue this dog and and make it their own. I just thought that that was a really amazing story. And, um, you know, how does this kind of stuff even happen? How does a dog... Uh, get dumped 135 miles from shore. Uh, Do they fall off the boat? Is that an act of um, human intolerance and cruelty that that happened? Um, I really don't know. My experience of animals, and especially dogs in Thailand, is that the Thai people are very um, respectful of dogs and that they feel... That uh, dogs should be protected. Uh, While Callie and I were over in Thailand, we even learned that the emperor himself or the king, um, sorry, the king of Thailand, uh, the last king of Thailand before he died, made a really strong effort to get all the, uh, as many homeless dogs off of the street as possible. They're still everywhere, but um, he made, he opened up his own personal um, residence in his palace to stray dogs, and I think it was a couple thousand stray dogs were saved on his own property. So I know that the Thai people are very respectful of animals, so I can't imagine uh, what happened in this case, but I'm so glad that that dog found some shelter and hopefully some new parents and will lead a... um, a good life, you know, certainly been a fascinating one for him so far. So that's a good news story of the day. Hopefully it brings a little bit of joy to your life. Now onto the section where I tell you a little bit about the conversation that's been on my mind lately. So this week I've been really thinking a lot about boundaries, um, and what they are and, and how we go about setting them and why we even set them. And recently in my life, um, I mean very recently, but also over the last, you know, 4 or 5 years, I have been becoming somewhat of an expert in boundary setting in my own life. And I've had to set some really hard boundaries with um some particular family members and some friends and things like that and and it can be difficult and I know that all of you out there have similar issues sometimes and sometimes we just need to set limits. So When it comes to boundaries, I think of this, you know, for me, I I need to check in with myself and ask myself, when is enough enough, you know? And to me, there's two types of boundaries. There's personal boundaries and boundaries we have for other people. Now, personal boundaries can also be synonymous with uh, what we may term as personal limits. So I set healthy limits to myself or personal boundaries um, in an effort to become a better person. Uh, some examples might be you know, limiting myself to uh, one soda only when I go to the movie theater and no sodas any other time. So this is like a health uh, restriction or a health boundary that I have. Other limits uh, that I might set for myself or other boundaries might be something like uh, never go uh, more than two days in a row without getting a workout. So that might be a personal boundary or a limit that I set for myself that if I hold myself accountable to it, um, it 's better for me it's it 's working me towards my goals and it's it 's healthy for me so setting personal limits and boundaries um, I think is very, very important also make sure making sure that you 're finding balance with those limits so if you 're finding that you 're working way too much and your self care is is low, you know setting some personal limits on work could be beneficial too, something like you know i 'm only going to work forty hours this week, no more, and the rest is going to be dedicated to self care time that can be a really healthy, uh, boundary to set, especially if you're finding that you're engaging too much in certain activities. So then the other type of boundaries I want to talk about real quick that have been on my mind are boundaries for others. And, um, this is really, you know, where I think most people, I don't know. I think people struggle with both the personal limits as well as boundaries for others. But most of the time when I'm helping others, um, it's, it's around setting limits or boundaries with other people and boundaries are not ultimatums. So this is not going up to people and saying, you know, if you don't change your behavior, then I'm going to leave you. Or, you know, if you don't do this, then I'm going to do this. That's not what setting a boundary is. Setting a boundary is coming from only your side of the street saying that this, this behavior or this action that is happening to me is intolerable and inappropriate. And I do not wish to have it happen to me anymore and so i'm going to exert what control i have and make sure that that thing doesn't happen again so a boundary is not an ultimatum and i think oftentimes the most difficult boundaries to set are with family um those are some of the difficult ones that i've been dealing with myself and i'm not going to get into you know um Specific examples of boundaries that I've been setting, but setting boundaries with family members, um, you know, family members who drive you crazy family members who, who do things that you don't agree with, or uh, family members that do things that that put you or um, your family, your own family in danger, things like that. Uh, These are all things that need to be addressed. And oftentimes boundary setting can be one of the most effective ways to do that. Um So, boundaries are hard to set, but also necessary to break cycles of things like codependency, enabling behaviors um, and abuse and trauma. So I know that they're hard to set, but you need to ask yourself when is enough going to be enough, and set some boundaries to protect yourself to protect your own sanity. Uh, if you're in recovery or sobriety or anything, setting boundaries with, with friends and family around substances to protect your sanity and protect your sobriety. Those are important. And with any sort of behavior change, if you're trying to change a behavior long-term and other people in your surroundings, whether it be family, friends, coworkers are not, um, not supporting you in that or, uh, doing things that are triggering you, uh, to, to a possible relapse in that behavior. Um. Maybe setting some boundaries could be helpful for you, um, at least to help you recognize what some of your triggers are. If not that piece, uh, you know, hopefully they'll change their ways, but maybe not. So that's what's been on my mind this week. Um, Hopefully in your lives, you guys are all finding healthy boundaries with people and keeping yourself healthy in that way. So our guest today is a very special guest, um, Michelle Trumbull. Now, Michelle, I'm um, so glad we had her on the podcast today. Uh, she's an, a childhood friend of mine. We went to middle school and high school together. Um, she's a fellow psychonaut and also a healer in her own work. Uh, she's a breathwork specialist and also a shadow work facilitator, and she'll get into all that in the podcast. If you guys want to find out more about her breathwork or her shadow work, um, and see if you're—it's something you're interested in. Go check out her website. I'm going to put it in the description as well. But it's www.breakingopen.org, and that's all one word: breakingopen.org. Um, so in this podcast, we go over uh, what is breathwork. Uh, we talk about uh, some of our old childhood memories and how people's memory of uh, people from their past often changes and is different from. Uh, other people's memories. Uh, we talk about what shadow work is and what that looks like. And uh, we talk a lot about uh, just consciousness in general and what it means to to her and what it means to me and uh, her journey to finding conscience uh, consciousness or finding an interest in consciousness after uh, significant trauma in high school. So uh, we talk about all that stuff and more. So please stick around and uh, we'll get right to the right to the interview this is the conversations with the mind podcast where we explore consciousness through conversations with interesting people Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. Alright folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host as always, Shane Lemaster. I'm sitting here with a very special guest, Michelle Trumbull. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um so glad that I could have you on today. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. I think we made plans in the past too mm-hmm. and they fell through. So yeah. uh the stars and the universe has aligned mm-hmm. for this to happen today. Um and exciting. it's exciting. It's happening today for a reason, and we'll we'll see what that reason is as we unpack everything. So um, I always start my podcast with the same question, and you're familiar with the podcast, we'll just jump right yeah. into it. <clears throat> so it's called Conversations with the Mind, and I just want to kind of get a sense of how your mind puts puts together meaning from that phrase and how it resonates with you, conversations with the mind.
1: <laughs> it's such a loaded question. <laughs> um, it's so interesting because I knew that you were going to ask me this because I listened to your podcast for a while and uh I've tried to think of all the different ways that I would answer that, <laughs> and of course, right now, in the moment, it's different from what I had planned but um you know I've always had this interesting connection with my mind um that I feel like I've had uh that was kind of shut down in childhood because I was always told that i was i've got a d h d and i've got and i' mm. I'm too expansive and there's so much stuff going on that we need to calm you down and and it was always so frustrating because my mind was always off doing these these imaginative things, and I was always off on all these different adventures in my mind. And and over time, it was like I was told to kind of contain that and and try to box that in. So it was it was an interesting thing um, to be told that at such a young age uh, to to kind of keep it keep it contained and don't explore too much because you need to you need to sit down and you need to focus and and over time when i finally realized that that was such a gift that i could actually use that to my advantage and use my creativity and use my exploration to my advantage um it's been a fun it's been a fun uh a journey in my life to be able to to use it to my advantage and to just um use my curiosity and my my imagination to create what i want in my life so
0: what age were you? Did you can you remember like start being told to reel that in?
1: Oh man, I think probably, I mean, as early as I can remember is probably like four or five, where wow. it was just like, you know, go outside. You've got too much energy, you know, kind of, you know. But what was great about growing up when I grew up, um, is you know, we could just be sent outside for you know, the next 12 hours and come back home and settle in. So I was outside all the time, which was so great because it was, you know, I was so in my mind all the time. So then to be connected to the earth and be outside and go crowd ad fishing and go climbing trees, you know, so connected to the earth. And it was such a, such a beautiful way to use my mind and my body at the same time. But it was when I started going to school that it was a little bit more difficult because there was less outside time. And, you know, when you're in school, They really tried to get you to sit still and and have this one track way of thinking, and I wasn't, it didn't suit me, and so I would get caught in that. And then, you know, the punishment was oh, you have to stay inside for recess. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even get to go outside and do that. So, like, my mind just felt like it was constantly just being trapped in, and so more and more stuff I felt like was being kind of pushed down and and back into my subconscious so I wasn't able to really feel into all of that yeah so.
0: and you have you have kids
1: I ha- yes I have a yeah. two and a half year old now <laughs> and um
0: so I'm sure you've heard that uh, you know certain school districts are trying to get a uh, do away with like recess time or like outdoor yeah. exploration time yeah. I remember that was that was the best way for me to exercise that creativity was like, outside playing in the dirt mm-hmm. with my GI Joes and my monster trucks and things yeah. like that and um that helped spur my creativity when I was a kid, very Absolutely. healthy thing to do, but yep. like you said, how, how interesting is it that our society tends to follow that pattern these days? Like enjoy your imagination and your creative creativity <laughs> up to some age, <laughs> yeah, and then and then we start telling our kids like uh, it's time to put away the imaginary friends it's mm-hmm. time to put away playtime, you need to start focusing on school stuff yeah. um, you know. And the, I guess the big question is, like, why do we do that as a society? And from my perspective, it seems like, uh, and I've heard this before, like, we're we're not putting our kids in school to uh, think critically about their world, but we're putting Absolutely. kids in school to, like, to train that one-track mind so that they can be efficient mm-hmm. workers for the workforce later exactly. on in life, right? It's,
1: like, so much programming and exactly. so much control. And it's, it, 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 it is kind of a little bit of a fear in mind of, like, how I want to help navigate... Uh, Frankie is my daughter so how I want to help navigate her growth and and really you know because I've gone through all this and because of all the work that I have done over the last couple of years I've really started to really look back and just be like man like if if I could have been nurtured in that way like I, I don't even know where I'd be I mean I'm so proud of where I'm at now mm-hmm. but you know now I'm able to use these tools to really spur her imagination but you know, what's what's really great about at least Fort Collins is there are a lot of schools that um, really help nurture the imagination of kids. I mean, you know, it's it's not public school, so it's, you know, pay out of pocket. But there's there's a lot of different options out here. Um,
0: like world schools and things like yeah,
1: that? Yeah, um, like there's like Montessori schools. And um, I'm trying to think of the other schools I can't think of the actual names now, but there's a lot of schools that do a lot more outdoor play. Mm-hmm. You know, they teach kids about gardening and and even like uh, shooting with bow and arrows, like mm-hmm. going back to like some of the <laughs> our primitive mm-hmm. ways of being, which I think are so great because learning about survival, learning about that kind of stuff is so important for critical thinking and, and being creative and that kind of thing. So it's really, you know... It's disheartening to hear that they're kind of trying to cut back on recess time. However, you know, I I did hear like in Texas, Texas schools are elongating recess time because they're realizing how much kids just need to move around. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of schools around here that my nephew's in where they have different things where they can have help the kids fiddle around with their bodies because we're not, we're humans. We're not meant to be still unless unless that's what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, they're they're trying to do away with homework, which is so great, so that they don't have to come home from school and then sit right back down and then get right back into their More mental bodies. Work. Yeah, mm-hmm. so it's so, it you know, as much as it scares me that they're taking away recess, I really have faith that schools are starting to come back and realizing that we need <laughs> we need these other critical um, imaginative places, and and that's what I that's what I plan to instill in Frankie. Like if if mm-hmm. they do all this stuff in schools, then I'll figure out a way to homeschool or you
0: know. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um in my profession as a as a professional counselor, I see so many kids and even young adults who uh come in with ADD or ADHD and they they mm-hmm. self-identify with it, right? right? Um I have a really tough time with that diagnosis. Uh-huh. Uh, Me too. Mm-hmm. I never have diagnosed anybody with that diagnosis personally. Yeah. Um and most of the time people who come in, I I provide a lot of psychoeducation around um you know how normal it is to be hyperactive how normal absolutely. it is to be creative and engaging your right hemisphere of your brain yeah. um, just because the society is sort of trending towards uh, greater emphasis on the mental um, cognitive mind instead of the limbic or emotional mind right. uh, or the even the gut mind you absolutely know? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad research is coming <laughs> around uh, and, and pointing people in the right direction but that's not the trend you know and exactly um, yeah it's it's really difficult with that diagnosis um because in other cultures you know it's it's those that we would see as mentally ill that mm-hmm. are usually designated by the tribes as the healers yeah gifted right? right yeah absolutely and so when mental illness or when something different shows up in childhood it's mm-hmm. seen as a gift you know and mm-hmm. and it's fostered and supported and and um, propagated you know for the betterment of everybody whereas our in our society we're like anybody who's different or away from the norm, we're going to medicate or we're going to lock them up or we're going to... Yeah, we
1: can't handle you. We don't know how yeah. to handle you. So we're going to put you over here or we're right. going to, you know, and unfortunately, I, I feel like there's a lot of profit off of off of pharmaceuticals in, in certain ways. And, and I, you know, I went down that trap when I, when I finally got diagnosed and I finally it got out of control and I didn't have the tools I was diagnosed with with uh, Adderall and then I was and then I was too I couldn't sleep and so I was di- and so then I was prescribed you know sleeping medication and mm-hmm. then I was sleeping too much and so I was prescribed medication on top of medication on top of medication but nobody took the time to really work through these things with me and see that I can use these things to my benefit and mm-hmm. it was just like no we need to just keep pumping you full of all this stuff mm-hmm. and I got to the point where I didn't even know who I was because it was like at this time I'm this person because I have to take the medication at this time. At this time I'm this person because I have to be, you know, and so I was following this regimen and I was just outside of my body because I was just following this stuff and I wasn't even connecting and seeing the gifts. And so I'd broken down and I was so suicidal and so because I didn't know who I was anymore because I was so jaded with all of the, all of the false, um, you know, and I wouldn't say they were they were false diagnoses, but it was uh, just the approach.
0: The story not was yeah. The story was wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely.
0: You're being fed this story from other people about who you were or who mm-hmm. you should be, right? And that certainly didn't drive or resonate with you at the time. Yeah, right?
1: I was and told like what, this What is age what were mean. was that? I mean, that didn't happen. I didn't get prescribed that until later on in life. Like, I really struggled through school. I didn't graduate, that kind of thing. So it wasn't until I started working, I became an x-ray tech, and I was still, I was having such a hard time focusing. So it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I was prescribed all of this medication. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I, and, you know, looking back, I still really struggled with with a lot of things in high school. You know, I would self-medicate, so back then it was like i was using all kinds of different recreational drugs because it I was i remember those days yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> yep so so escaping as much as i could because i was told that there was something wrong with me so so i went from straight from pharmaceutical or straight from recreational drugs to pharmaceutical drugs and so it was just such an interesting <laughs> it was almost as if there was no lapse in it it was just like uh, you know using using different things to separate myself from my wholeness and then stepping into something that was more legal, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that I could I could still make sense of everything. So it was I would say I, I was self medicating. I mean, since I was really young, um, just using everything I could.
0: That's incredible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, back when we knew each other back in school, in mm-hmm. middle school and high school, um, at that time I was on antidepressants, mm-hmm. any number of them. You know, I think I cycled through Prozac, Wellbutrin. Um, some other ones I don't even remember but at the time you know it was I consider myself today um, a survivor you know I'm a psych uh, psych med survivor (laughs) you know and I think there's a lot more of us Mm -hmm. um, coming about these days because more people are seeing the value of coming off these meds and just living more naturally even if society says there's something off with you like great i'm gonna celebrate that shit you know yeah i
1: love being totally different and off and i like when i get that judgment because i'm just like i'm challenging your edges exactly like that and i'm just being something that maybe you wish could be because you're hiding and you know so Mm -hmm. i definitely i definitely challenge a lot of people's edges because i don't really i'm at a point now that i i feel like i i've come into my wholeness and i've like recognized all these gifts that were once deemed like deficiencies or or issues, and now I'm just using them to my benefit, and it's, it's great, because now really... I can appreciate all of me instead of, you know, so... Don't you
0: feel more whole, kind of, ad, the more tapped into your natural mm-hmm. being?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, like I was saying, I was medicated at the time that you knew me, mm-hmm. and it wasn't yeah. because of anything that I had chosen. Um, my mom had been married a number of times, and each time she got divorced... She felt like my brother and I needed counseling mm-hmm. because of it, or whatever. Maybe we did. I don't know. But right. we, we went to through a lot of different therapists. Were prescribed meds. Uh, same thing. You know, other people telling me, "You're just depressed because of the divorce." Here's some. Here's some uh, SSRIs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that now that you mention your disconnect through because of the meds, I was probably. Uh, disconnected largely because of that too. I mean, Mm -hmm. you remember how I was in middle school, right? I was a little more straight laced, uh, -hmm. got good grades, things like that. And then in high school, everything changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I started experimenting with all sorts of recreational drugs, getting in trouble with the law. Um, you know, I think my reputation changed from being more, you know, like a nerdy, good student to being more like, Hey, Shane's the guy that we can get some drugs or booze from. Um, so I think large part of that was being told that I was not okay, being told that I was different, being told that I something was wrong with me
1: mm-hmm.
0: even when I hadn't I hadn't had that thought.
1: Yeah. You know? And you come to accept that. It's like yeah. you're being told all these stories that it's like I'm going to believe this story now, so I'm going to keep telling myself this story and believe it and then just go on this one track of, like, there's something fucked up with me.
0: Right, because it gives me some sense of grounding in Absolutely. who I am, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm lost at this point as I a teenager. <laughs> and yeah. then someone tells me, this is who you are, yep. and it's easy to attach to that and be like, okay, <laughs> I'm a shitty person, but at least I am somebody, right? And then, <laughs> I had to be good at being right. a shitty person. Exactly. Yeah, and so I yeah. think I applied that that uh the willingness or that desire to want to be successful that i was using towards my academics i started applying that to like i'm going to be the best drug dealer in yeah, the school you absolutely. know mm-hmm. i'm going to be the guy who can get you alcohol anytime you ask mm-hmm. right and i did that and not proud of it but it was part <laughs> yeah, of it's the story part
1: of your wholeness like right. it's just part like you know right. i i look back and i'm just like You know, it's so funny because I used to have these regrets and I used to have these things of like, oh, man, if that hadn't have happened, if that hadn't happened, you know, and I'm just like so grateful for every piece of the journey, all the traumas that I experienced, all of the even going through medications, because now I had this experience to share with other people, you know, to help help that shift. And now, you know, like Frankie, like now I can just look at all these different avenues and and look at things from so many different perspectives Mm -hmm. because of all of that. So I appreciate it.
0: I love your perspective because it's i share the same perspective Mm -hmm. that um you know in in psychology i really latched on to the idea of post-traumatic growth Mm -hmm. um and it's very similar to to this concept you're talking about you know seeing our traumas as uh mechanisms for learning Mm -hmm. um trying to find the silver lining in everything you know recounting bad experiences and going over them from a different perspective and bringing new meaning forward Integrated into our life, so we can be better people, right? right? And that's a big part of your work, right? Is the shadow work. So, for people out there who don't know what shadow work is, um, give us give us the dirty, uh, the down low on what (laughs) on what uh, shadow work is, and how and how you go about um, helping your your clients explore it, but how Mm -hmm. you've explored your shadow work because that's been a huge part of my growth.
1: Yeah, Uh, me too. I mean, I could say, you know, without even knowing it, I've probably been doing shadow work all my life. You know um, shadow work. (laughs) It's so, (laughs) it's so interesting. So, you know, and it, it was, so I actually, and I don't know if I told you this, but, um, after I, after some of my PTSD surfaced a little bit, um, it was like my 10 year high school reunion, um, for, for Loveland High and, and I I had re-experienced a trauma that I had experienced in, um, in high school. At the Um, reunion? No, it was a, it was a trauma that happened so so I was actually sexually assaulted by a friend in high school, and I pr- repressed it. I was like this didn 't happen. I wanted to push it away, I denied it i you know I, I really worked to try to forget that memory. I blamed myself, I did all this for ten years, and then the ten year high school reunion came, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, every memory, everything came flooding back, and it crushed me. Mm. And I ended up being, like, agoraphobic. I couldn't go to work. I was I was making really good money. I was an x-ray tech. I was successful, quote-unquote, um, in my life. But there was still some things that I had never dealt with. And I, you know, during those 10 years, there were so, so many times where I would just lash out and just this uncontrollable anger. And I didn't know where it was coming from. You know, I, I could never identify it. It was just like, why are you... So angry, why are you so this and so I, it's just like, well, I obviously need to take some medications to to mm-hmm. deal with the symptoms that kind of thing, and so what ended up happening was i i literally i couldn't I was so traumatized I couldn't leave my apartment for almost a year, not even to go grocery shopping nothing. It was so debilitating, and then the depression kicked in and you know, and I was on all these medications and and finally i met um I met this doctor over at the wholeness center and he Dr. Scott Shannon, I th- I believe mm-hmm. that you Great interviewed him. Yes, he he pointed me into the direction of um, not using medications and starting to use natural ways and natural methods and that kind of thing. And he introduced me to biofeedback. And I mean, just this plethora of, of tools that I'd never been introduced to. And it was so incredible. But I started using that and then I decided I was like, oh, I, I, I want to help people. I want to go into psychology. So I started going back to school for psychology. I really wanted to be a psychotherapist. And in psychology school, I started really being fascinated with dream work and Carl Jung. Mm -hmm. Carl Jung was, I was just like, oh, there's something about his his work that is just so fascinating. And and so shadow work was something I was always drawn to. but at the time, I wasn't dealing with my own shadows, and so I was co- continually being triggered because I still wasn't working with my own stuff. So I ended up having to quit school for for psychology and, and just, like, focus on self-healing. And so that's when I, I, you know, I kept working with Scott Shannon, and then I started working with biofeedback, and then I started... I got introduced to transformational breath work, and it was so... It was... <laughs> It was such an eye opener. It's a blindfolded experience, but it's such an eye opener because it was, you know, there were so many things I was trying to escape by going to school and being the best and making this money, and it was like all these distractions from going within. Mm -hmm. And so I went to this yoga festival and tried breath work for the first time, and it was it was so uncomfortable because I was like, why do I need to look at myself? I want to help everybody else. This isn't this isn't necessary. And so we were given blindfolds, and we were. We were given this powerful music that invoked different feelings and emotions, and I allowed myself to just go on an inner exploration with my breath to see this. And I started recognizing, you know, where the anger was coming from. I started recognizing all these places that I was projecting out, and it and it wasn't even that I was angry. It's because I was still grieving some of my traumas. It was, it was because I was still dealing with some of these these programs that I was given when I was a kid on, you know, in our, our family, we weren't really taught how to say, I love you and and give hugs a lot. We weren't Mm -hmm. very, um, we weren't very connected on that level. So it was all these places that I discovered within myself that was keeping me from really living my authentic self. And I, I recognized that I was living this life of lies because it was, you know, I was, programmed to go to school I was programmed to get this job and hurry up and get married and have kids and do all this stuff and not that that's there's anything wrong with it but I was living the life that somebody else was teaching me and it wasn't until I started discovering um my inner shadows so so what shadow work is um is basically making the the unconscious conscious so basically looking at all of our our past programming and basically looking at all of these these um these feelings um that that we're projecting out and seeing the root of them so so when i work with clients um you know we we dive into shadow work so So I kind of ask them what they, where they're feeling in their body. So we check in consciously, you know, we close our eyes and really check in consciously where we're at in our, our physical body, our mental body, our emotional body, our spiritual body, and really check in and see how, um, how that's being projected out into the world and what we can do to go back in and find out how we can work on some of those specific areas. So,
0: so when you say you have them sort of do a body scan, mm -hmm, right. And, um, Mm -hmm when they identify where they are in each of these bodies, all the bodies that you, you just yeah. listed, spiritual body, emotion body, mental body, mm-hmm. um, these are almost like layers of an onion,
1: yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and okay. our,
0: as we layer out, um, it becomes uh, more transcendent in nature, mm-hmm. right? So our spiritual bodies furthest out. Um, yeah. So you're asking them to identify their, their place. Where are you sitting with each of these bodies? Are they trying to identify like a location in the body of like, mm-hmm. right now in my spiritual body, I'm really... Um, centered in on like sort of my my gut
1: yeah or in in
0: my in my mental body um, i'm feeling it really in like my leg
1: yeah that's part of it definitely Mm. so so a lot of the work that i do and a lot of the stuff i've studied is uh um you know looking at the body through the chakras so -hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with the chakras but there's these energy centers in the body that Uh, contain different emotions. They hold different emotions and different feelings. And so when we really start to look at where these things are held, we can almost identify where the pain is in the body and also look at that as like, okay, well, what emotion is that associated with? So, you know, if somebody's feeling a lot of um a lot of anxiety if that if we're looking at the mental body they're like feeling a lot of anxiety and we can kind of start to look at well what is going on in the heart space okay so then we start to look a little bit deeper and try to see like okay so if you're feeling a lot of anxiety maybe there's a blockage in your heart okay so we start to look at heartache we start to look at we start to dig a little bit deeper to see like where was your heart broken and and this kind of thing so we we take i take a lot of different tools to Take people inward. I do a lot of blindfolded work. Okay. Um, that's a big, important part. Of, I, f- I think of shadow work. It's 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 taking away these outside distractions and really looking within. You know, and it it, it frightens a lot of people because mm-hmm. they're not. Most people don't want to look at that. Most people are like, that's in the past. I don't want to see that anymore. But most people don't recognize that so much of that still drives what we're doing today.
0: Yeah. Um. I actually heard the other day. Karma was described in this way on a on a Duncan Trussell podcast. you know who that is? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, he's a a comedian. Um it's all into, you know, uh, the cosmos and all these yeah. things. He's, uh-huh. he's hilarious. But he uh he had a guest on and it was they discuss or they described karma in the most beautiful way that I'd never heard it described before. That it was karma is simply just the forward carrying momentum of potentialities. Oh uh, yeah. <clears throat> right? That it's not necessarily good or bad. Mm-hmm. There's no um Plus or minus value to it Mm -hmm. it's just the forward momentum uh, of these potentialities and so uh, when you talk about it in that way that's that's what it reminded me of yeah Um,
1: absolutely and it will keep nagging at you it's just you know when we're in such denial of these things and we don't want to look at these things you know and I there's a movie called the shadow effect with Deepak Chopra and uh, Debbie Ford and Marianne Williamson but they they describe it as this like you know, you put this kid in the basement because you don't want them to be seen and you're just like, I don't want to deal with you, I don't want to deal with you. Well, they're going to keep pounding on that basement door until they're seen and they're going to come out in ways of, you know, the shadow is often expressed in eating disorders, addictions, um, angry outbursts, that kind of thing. And so, and even even health, you know, it's there's so many people that are so addicted to, they, they've been so disconnected to their body because of a certain body trauma that they are now, um, hyper working their body. So they're they're exercising eight hours a day and they're they're but they're not doing it to benefit themselves. They're mm-hmm. doing it to discipline themselves. Mm-hmm. So so we so I work with clients like that. You know, It's like look a form their, of punishment. Yeah, it's a punishment. It's yeah. not they, so their connection to it, you know, 'cause and it and that's the same thing with addictions. It's like you know, I used to have this connection with alcohol to to escape. I, I, I couldn't I didn't want to be in my body, so I'd use alcohol to escape and to numb out. And now and I never had you know, I would never consider myself an alcoholic, but I definitely had a, a different unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Whereas now, you know, if I have a glass of wine here or there, it's really grounding. I thank it for its medicine mm-hmm. And then I set it aside, but Mm -hmm. I don't have the same kind of relationship with it that I once Mm -hmm. did.
0: Yeah, I often talk about uh, the relationship to substances with Mm -hmm. other people, too. And um, that was a big part of um, a big uh, journey in my own recovery from alcohol. You know, I've been sober from alcohol for almost 10 years. And in looking at the relationship that I had with it, it was much like yours. Mm -hmm. Very um, self-destructive, punishing, -punishing, self-punishing ego centric for sure. (laughs) Totally. You know, um and my relationship to other drugs in my younger years was uh unhealthy as well. You know, pushing it to the pushing it to the limit, um, you know, purely about novelty. Yeah. You know, and then Mm -hmm. in my recovery, you know, when I first got sober, I was sober from everything. Um Mm -hmm. and I thought that's the way it has to be. You know, my relationship with everything is just fucked up and i can't fix that
1: yeah i you
0: know i was I can't told trust myself right, with this anymore i was told it was genetic like don't yeah. even risk it but what i found um you know after a couple years of complete abstinence um i got in a, uh almost got in a huge car wreck on the on the highway both my dogs were in there i had to slam on the brakes and veer off the highway and both dogs uh, hit the front windshield um it scared the hell out of me. Yeah. I felt like I was gonna die. My heart rate. I'd never had a panic attack up to that point, but it's mm. it started at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove the rest of the way home to Longmont, and I just could not get rid of the panic. Uh, it wouldn't go away, and that's when I called a friend and said, "Hey, man, um, I need some. I need some cannabis. I need something to take this away." Yeah. And um, he had some, and so my relationship um, to those drugs started changing at that point so now Mm -hmm. um instead of using cannabis to just get high and zone out and laugh with friends right it became a medicine
1: absolutely you know and now
0: i i could use it for um for anxiety when it would come back Mm -hmm. up uh and then i started you know exploring my relationship to other things and and like psychedelics you know um my relationship to them these days is much healthier. Uh, I view it as a medicine. I view it as something that should be ceremonial. I view it as something for personal um, and spiritual growth. Whereas back in the day, no, that that would never have crossed We're going to raves and,
1: yeah. and have our our light sticks. Yeah, and, yeah and we're going to uh-huh.
0: combine it with meth yeah. and oh like nasty. Uh-huh. Na- yeah, right. Yeah. So um, I love how you bring up the relationship that we have because that makes all the difference. Like I know does, today, yeah. like I we'll probably never have a relationship with alcohol again. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, Like yeah. she and I were bad for each other, you yep. know? That's like the, the wife we're... that keeps getting you locked up in jail. Mm-hmm. That was what we're I kept getting locked cord. up in jail. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other substances like uh, the medicine work, um, I feel no guilt or shame um, right. engaging in that because it's a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not...
1: Uh... And there is a respect there.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: that's the thing I think is so different with... With you know, there's not so much because alcohol is so widely used, it's just like there's no respect, people don't sit there and drink it and just be like, Okay, mm-hmm. you know. Well, back in the day, alcohol was a back. medicine,
0: too, yeah.
1: right? Yeah, and and now, yeah, so there are people that use it in ceremony. I know, I know some teachers that come from um, some different countries that use it in ceremony, mm. ceremoniously, but you know, it's just instead there is there are intentions that are set there's people that are holding the space for you so it's safe but there's this respect for the medicine where you know same thing like you said like in high school I was just walking around taking whatever somebody told me it was I don't even know if it was what they said it was but I had no idea and no conscious connection to anything it was just take it and we'll see where we go because I simply didn't care and that was after a lot of the traumas that had happened I I disassociated with, from, from my body, and I was like, I don't care what I'm yeah. putting in it.
0: And we had some crazy parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some uh-huh. crazy parties at my mom's house, too, oh my gosh. on the lake. Did you I ever know. go to any yes, of those? So
1: I was thinking about that. I was like, oh my gosh, we've gone back a long way, so it's interesting yeah. the conversations that we could have now.
0: Yeah, we had uh, yeah. grew up in a in a lake house <laughs> on Boyd Lake in Loveland, and um, when my mom would be out of town, I'd you know, invite the whole school over, pretty uh-huh. much, and uh, it would get really freaking crazy. Lots of drugs, lots of crazy things going on. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of theft happened at my mom's house. Mm. Um, but that is neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> so, first of all, I wanna say I'm sorry that you had to go through something like that in high school. Um, I know, knowing who you are now, though, yeah. I know that you're not sorry that you went through it. You're, no. That you see that as a necessary part of who you became today, and mm-hmm. I love that about you. Um, <laughs> Thanks anybody else i think uh i would stick with the i'm sorry you went through that story but yeah, with you i'm yeah. like you know yeah, i'm no, sorry was... but i'm glad that you went through uh-huh. that because you are an amazing person today you know Thank you. so yeah when we talk about the shadow and a lot of people might have heard this term thrown around but if i feel like most people associate um, the word shadow or shadow work with um, bringing up negative things, uh, right. bringing up right. hard to deal with stuff, bringing up trauma, bringing up all these things that people don't want to. Mm-hmm. But the way I hear you describe mm-hmm. it, it sounds more like, yeah, we deal with the trauma and the hard stuff too, but mm-hmm. the shadow work is anything that you don't see. So it can yeah, be strengths that you're you're not paying attention to. It can be um, things about yourself that that other people value, but you minimize, mm-hmm. um, because you're afraid to step into that Absolutely. and be courageous. So really identifying all the the good and the bad and getting to the root. So can you right. talk a little bit more about, um, how you, wh- why do you think people misconceive that, uh,
1: well, it's just perception. It's okay. just like having the perception of good and bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like if we can take away our perception of having it be a good or bad experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if we can just say, you know, I've I've tried to tell a lot of my clients of like stop using the words good or bad experience. Stop qualifying it and just yeah. call it an experience. Yes. You know, it's it's taking away. We're t- if we're gonna keep telling ourselves that we had this terrible day and this terrible thing happened, our bodies are gonna believe that things are so terrible. So it's it's removing. That description of good or bad or evil versus, you know, it's just like looking at everything is just, this is just part of the journey. So it's really going back and and recognizing that every single experience is for our personal growth. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it felt ugly at the time, but we're, we're humans. We're here to feel a human experience. We were not put on this earth to just feel bliss and love and light and skip around and ride unicorns and see all the glitter. We were not put here, you know, and that's what I always laugh and I always tease people about the light workers and, and going and seeing all the light and being all the, the fluffy and, and pretty things. It's, you know, it's so important. Like I I have so much gratitude in my life because of some of these darker experiences or these, these experiences that really took me to the depths of, of pain and agony and all of that, but it served me so much. I would have never found my passion had it not come from that. So mm-hmm. I really you know, I really teach my clients to really take a look at these, these tougher experiences that don't feel so comfortable um, and, and really use them to, to fuel what they want to do in life. You know, it's like these experiences can really change how we want to move about in life and really find our passion, you know. I, had I not done that, had I not really looked at my own shadow and done that work, I probably would still, and not to say that it's a bad job, but I would probably be stuck in my boring x-ray job. Mm. And, and the, although that felt that felt fun at the time. I was not being stimulated. I was not passionate. You know, I I was passionate about the the patients, but I was not passionate about what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so doing the shadow work, I recognized, I was like, oh man, like now that I've been through this, I can help other people that are going through this or help them maybe even avoid some of the the darker times that I had gone through and and work through that. So yeah, it's just, I I think it's really just changing the perspective of, of how we look at our stories and how we look at our, our traumas, sure. if you want to say it,
0: and that's exactly what um, we're finding is is probably the most useful part with the psychedelic assisted therapies. Uh-huh. It's a it's allowing um, that shadow, it's allowing a light to be shine shown on the shadow yeah. and then allowing us to um look at traumas from the past mm-hmm. and reprocess them in a totally different way yeah it doesn't change the thing that happened right but it changes the way we choose to tell ourselves the story absolutely moving forward yeah so it's one thing i mean hindsight is 20 20 right it's it's one thing to look back at trauma and say i can learn from this it was meant to be, and I can see the reason for that now. But how do you, how do you remind yourself of that when you're in the shit? Like when mm-hmm. you are deep in it, depressed, angry, and you can't make any sense of the, you know, the circumstances mm-hmm. of the situation. You can't see how this is going to benefit you in the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see this in your clients. First of all, what do you do in those situations to remind yourself uh, that this is all for a reason? But what do you what do you tell your clients cuz I find it difficult to work with clients too sometimes.
1: Yeah, when when we it.
0: can say to them over and over like, "Hey, this is this is for your benefit." This
1: will pass. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot but, of things. But for
0: them they're like, "Oh my god, what you're saying is not helping me mm-hmm. right now in this moment." Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you how do you snap yourself out of that in the moment?
1: So so for me, um a lot of the stuff that has helped me and and I um you know and that goes back into checking in with your physical body you know checking back into where you're holding that in the moment so so a lot of the work i do is teaching people how to express emotions in a safe in a safe place it's like you know, when you're in that place and and you're just feeling this buildup of like anxiety and I don't know what to do, I encourage people to scream and really just allow, allow that shadow to be expressed. So, you know, when you're really in it, and you're really feeling into that, like I I encourage us to go right into that feeling, like let's go deep into it and let's feel it out, like let's let's really dive into it. Um, and, and in
0: order for people to do that, they need to feel safe.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of my work is, and I, and I do a lot of my work out of my home, um, so so I create a very safe container. And 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 you have to be really grounded too to do that, and your and yourself, and and feel grounded with people. So. Um, I will start the session off when I'm doing a session with somebody in my home. We do a deep meditation to really feel grounded and really, really feel like we're in a safe space. So we we connect with our breath and we do a little bit of a little bit of a meditation so we can kind of come down. And then as we start to surface through things, you know, they already feel like they're grounded into their root chakra. They already feel like they're in this safe space. Um, you know, and I I really I really think that. Um, the surroundings in which you're, which you're doing this work is very important. Um, so bringing clients into my home, that kind of thing, or even you know taking a client on a hike so that we're, we're in the sturdiness of the mountains mm-hmm. and we're outside so it's a little bit more expansive. and that's for clients that are that are ready and able to do that. Um, but you know letting them know and assuring them that I'm here and, and I help express it with them, you know, like I'll instigate it. So mm-hmm. I'll scream or punch a pillow or do something just to like show them how safe it is and how freeing it is to allow this feeling to come through, mm. you know. And so there's a lot of different somatic experiences um, that I use. Um, tapping is such a such a powerful way to release emotions. It's, it's so incredible. And, and just, you know... And, and this comes with permission, but just, just physical touch. So there's, there's different energy centers in the body that you know, I will use different physical touch. So you know, placing the arms on the shoulders, allowing the heart to open up, you know, tapping on the heart, and allowing some of those walls to break open. It's incredible um, how much people can let go and they don't even know what I'm doing Mm -hmm. you know but I really encourage people to really feel into the emotion and try not to escape it and so that that way they're not that feeling isn't lingering Mm. so
0: yeah, I find that, um, you know, the the deeper we can go into a feeling, mm-hmm. the less power it has.
1: Absolutely. So the more it
0: it's, and it's like with anything, you know, like if you're going to start a degree program at a university, it's scary to start, totally. right? Because you have no idea what's, in, what's ahead of you. But the yeah. deeper you get into the knowledge, the more confident you feel about yeah. it because you just know more. Yeah. Uh, you know how the system works. You know how the classes go. You know how your schedule goes, right? The same mm-hmm. thing with the internal work. The more yep. you practice the meditation, the more you practice yeah. going inside, the more comfortable you Get with going inside, yeah. and it becomes easier to, to navigate those spaces.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's so. I offer monthly breathwork mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, groups, and so it, it's been such a beautiful thing to see people come back time and time again and go deeper and deeper and deeper into their into their experiences because when they first come they're like i don't know if i should be here i don't know if i'm going to do this right i'm scared of what i'm going to see Mm -hmm. and then they do one and then they keep coming back month Mm -hmm. after month because they start to get a little bit more familiar and in the breathwork container you know i i create a safe space i let them know how safe they are you know i i do a great deal of talk about the safe 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 space Mm -hmm. and then i do a little bit of a you know, demonstration so that they can see me and my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I let them know that I'm just as human and I have just as much fucked up shit that I'm still working on. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm still human, you know so so letting them know that I'm still human too, because when you're in the role of a facilitator or a therapist too, it's it's hard to at least when I was going through counseling, it was so hard for me to be able to trust a therapist because I'm just like, well, you're here to tell me all this stuff, but I don't know if you actually can can empathize with me. And not that you need to, but it, it's nice to have a little bit of that vulnerable pl- piece mm-hmm. so that I could feel vulnerable.
0: Yeah, I use um, self-disclosure in that yeah. way in session. Yeah. And uh, a lot of therapists are strictly against self-disclosure. Uh-huh. They say therapy is not about you. You shouldn't even be mentioning your yeah. personal life. For me, though, I... I need to connect with them mm-hmm. and the trust
1: has to be there for yeah. your client to really feel okay. To open up.
0: so I have to give if I'm going to expect yeah. them to give to me, you yeah. know? And so, you know, I've, I've studied, um, proper use of self-disclosure. Mm-hmm. Um, right. you know, there's certain <laughs> ways to protect yourself, especially yeah. when you're doing sessions in the home too, yeah. like you yeah. are. Um, so self-disclosure is a big deal for me and I use it that way to gain report, to gain buy, and to gain trust. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's really interesting. Um, have you ever heard of uh, Stan Stangroff, obviously? Yeah, right? uh-huh. So um, in my training as a therapist, I was classically trained in psychoanalysis, more Sigmund Freud style in my mm-hmm. undergrad. Um, really didn't, It didn't really jive too much with mm-hmm. me. Yeah. I saw the validity in it, but just like you, I was drawn more to Carl Jung. And uh, unfortunately yeah. and weirdly, at CU Boulder, in a place like Boulder, they were not teaching Carl Jung. In, huh. the, in the psychology as much. We skimmed over it for a week. Yeah. Uh, but the rest was psychoanalysis. But through all my training as a therapist, uh, we were always taught uh, it's inappropriate to touch the client. Mm-hmm. It's inappropriate to give the client a hug even if they need it. It's inappropriate to even hand the client a tissue box if they start crying that you should allow the client to empower themselves huh. to reach for the tissue yeah. um, that you're enabling the 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 behavior um, if you do things like this why? right so that's how i was trained and then i went to uh the psychedelic science conference in oakland a couple years ago and uh got to hang out with stan groff uh-huh. uh saw him speak a couple times did a, a breathwork uh workshop with him where he taught us the holotropic method yeah. yep. taught us how to be facilitators and take it home with us so we could spread it
1: mm-hmm.
0: but as i'm watching him facilitate the breathwork. um People were having these very deep somatic experiences. They were reliving trauma through certain body parts, right? Yep. So, one person, one woman, had been uh, afterwards. She told us like um, there was some birth trauma uh, that had happened, like a C-section, and this trauma had imprinted on her. She didn't know it had, yeah. but during the breath work, she was um, like, if you look at if you looked at her, she was like trying to break free. With her arms and legs Mm -hmm. and trying to you know hold tight in this space and stan walked over to her him and his wife both laid on either side of her and just kind of held her together and um she had a full cathartic release and healed like immensely just broke down crying for the next hour i saw people uh you know stan Graf. if if Mm -hmm. someone was feeling something in a certain part of their body he would come up to them and put pressure on that part so that the person could really connect with the, yeah, the,
1: bring the, the attention there, Bring the
0: attention there with extra pressure, yeah. and then when he would release it, the the patient would feel like, like a, it had, the weight had been lifted off, yep. right, yep. which made a ton of sense to me, yeah. um, and I don't know why they never taught things like that, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of shying away from pain like we're taught, take an ibuprofen and advil, right, just cover up ice, the symptoms, right, no, go towards the pain, yeah. yeah. Um, if you're feeling achy muscles, put pressure into it and then release. You're gonna get more relief that mm-hmm. way. So I saw these somatic techniques and I started integrating them into my practice. And mm-hmm. now I feel so much better as a clinician.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah,
0: I'm better at my job, number one, but I feel more like myself. Like yeah, if a client freely, needs a hug, mm-hmm. I can give a hug and still maintain boundaries. You know? Absolutely, absolutely. If a client is crying, I can put my hand on their knee and still maintain professional mm-hmm. boundaries, but give, a somatic, um, feeling of safety, Mm -hmm. you know, especially in psychedelic journey work, things like that. When people are releasing, um, you know, we can help out that way too.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and I think the, the thing that we're lacking so much in society is the lack of connection, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and that is physical connection. You know, if you can, you can actually watch children and how they grow up and the children that are a little bit more able to really feel, feel, um, uh, emotionally intelligent are the ones that are are being hugged and are being touched and are being you know you know in in healthy ways you know and and then the kids that are just not getting that kind of love you can just tell how disassociated from their body are they are because they're not recognizing how you know how powerful touch can be. Um, And so it's 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 been really interesting, you know the so I went through a seven month breathwork training And we learned about we learned all about the somatic touch We learned all about the intuition and and really giving people this sense of touch so they can feel safe You know as long as you build that rapport and as long as you you can get them into this um, grounded space and really get them to a place where where they're comfortable then you know and and i always i always have full disclosure with my clients i say you know like and especially in the transformational breath space because i'll have 20 people show up and i say i walk around and i might shake (laughs) you i might place my hand on you i might tap on you i might do something whatever intuitively that i feel is coming through i will do this and so we have a safe word if it feels unsafe i want you to say stop and 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 you know, have these safe boundaries and I've never had that happen. Mm-hmm. But it's such a beautiful thing to walk around and just I can tell somebody's like at the verge mm-hmm. uh, like All they need the is edge. a little nudge. Yeah. And so I'll go down and I'll give give them a hug and just the tears start flowing mm-hmm. and the release happens and you know and and it's such a beautiful thing to witness them go into it, especially the people that come. I do an opening circle, and the people that come in, they're like, I don't think I'm going to feel anything. And they have all these cute little expectations, and, and I love watching them because I'm like, oh, you know. And it's so much fun. But, yeah, that that piece of touch and then, you know, having the awareness of of how to let it go and, and then just watching, watching the release from everybody, it's just such a beautiful gift. Um <clears throat> And that's a, that's a lot of the shamanic tools that I've learned. You know, I've worked with a lot of local shamans and I've done some psychedelic journey work and they use a lot of the somatic processing. And it's such deep, profound letting go that I've never, never witnessed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I really think that there's something with, you know, healing touch. And that's when I, when I first started trying to heal myself. That's when I started first looking into to Reiki and, and healing touch and those kind of modalities and realizing that it doesn't all have to be talk therapy. Sure. <laughs> there can be touch.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this idea of connection and especially physical connection yeah. is what you're, I mean, primarily talking about. Mm-hmm. I, it's so important. And, you know, I never reflected on my own recovery this way, but... A big part of my recovery from addiction was a re-engagement with my jiu practice. Mm-hmm. And now that I think about it, I knew that jiu saved my life. And that's that's kind of a, a catchphrase that goes around yeah. the jujitsu community. Jiu-jitsu yeah. saved my life. But for real, like I feel like it did uh-huh. because um, addiction thrives in loneliness. It thrives in, dis- in disconnection, yeah. mm-hmm. in isolation. And for me to re-engage with such a physical practice. I mean, for an hour, or an hour and a half, or two, or however long the training session is, you are in very intimate physical contact mm-hmm. with numerous opponents um, on the mat, just sharing sweat. Like yesterday, I was <laughs> teaching class, and as I'm teaching this technique, uh, I'm dripping sweat onto the forehead <laughs> of this girl that I'm demonstrating on, and she's just like, uh, gross, or whatever. But that's like, that's what we do, and we love it, you yeah, know? Yeah. And And I think it was because I had that physical, intimate connection, or at least the outlet to to express that, that, um, you know, I never turned back. Mm -hmm. I I never went back to um, feeling isolated anymore. I had a community from that point on.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think community is Mm -hmm. such a thing.
0: And having multiple communities now, you know, like I got my um, psychedelic, psychonaut communities, I got my academic communities, Mm -hmm. I got my... Um, work communities and my jiu-jitsu communities, so um, just broadening it all out because we can lose community too.
1: You yeah, know? absolutely. And if, if you lose well, one, you get gotta... as we shift. Yeah. You know, but yeah, and I'm interested in jujitsu because I'm not, I'm not as in my physical body. I mean, I am, and I'm not. I I also teach yoga, that kind of thing. But um, I imagine jujitsu is a lot of allowing feelings to be expressed. I'm I'm, I'm sure is that.
0: Yes and no. So, I mean, in jujitsu, you're put in, uh, it's, it's safe, right? So there's an element of safety there, but it, you're put in positions and dominate your body is literally dominated. So day to day, we walk around the world and we feel pretty in control of our body, Uh right? So we're like, okay, I feel great. Well, imagine somebody smaller than you all of a sudden, on the ground, wrestling has complete 100% control over your limbs. Hmm. You can't move anything unless he says so, or you're going to break something. Um, how do you think you'd feel? Whew. Right. Feel yeah, claustrophobic.
1: That, yeah, you feel totally. claustrophobic.
0: You might feel frustrated. You might feel angry at yourself yeah. for getting yourself in that situation. You might feel like Lots of fear. Uh-huh. All sorts. of Right? So, yeah. jiu-jitsu is a training ground for sitting with the uncomfortable okay so as you're as you're learning especially in the beginning and you don't know what you're doing and you're just getting dominated every single day um, your ego is getting tested every single day you start to question all these things about who you are and who you thought you were and who you really aren't (laughs) and um, it's very emotional breaking the ego every single day smashing it to pieces and then Brushing it up as you leave the door, trying to put it together so you can come yeah. back tomorrow, you know? Yeah. So it's a training ground to really sit with and deal with your emotions. And you asked about expression. Well, early on in the beginning, it's easy to express your emotion as it's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you might start crying on the mat. You might walk off the mat so frustrated that you're like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: um, but it's encouraged because it's a warrior culture,
1: mm-hmm. it's a combat
0: yeah. sport. Yeah. You're encouraged to, um, to downplay your emotions. So if you're feeling pain, if you're feeling discomfort, uh, as you get higher in the belts, you learn to keep a stoic, straight face. Right. You know? So you don't want your opponent to know that what they're doing is actually working. Right? <laughs> right. You want them to think that it's not working, so they'll let go and move on.
1: Mm-hmm. Right?
0: So we're kind of trained to maintain composure.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, externally. Yeah, uh, it serves a purpose, but also maintain composure internally. So even if I still feel like I'm gonna die any moment because my coach is is exerting the pressure <laughs> and choking me out, I can still. I can manage that emotion now, um, and it's safe. You know, I know it's yeah. safe.
1: Well, and I imagine you can probably use some of those emotion and harness it, in in a way to express it, like in a in a different way where it's you know frustration is just like i'm going to use this frustration too I, I mean yes and <laughs> no
0: again um you know for for combat sports um it's different than other sports in that um you can take physical damage that's not necessarily dependent on you Good. You, know, you can take it from somebody else's <laughs> decisions and um so in general <clears throat> we're taught that emotion gets in the way of, mm-hmm. of being effective, you know? So you would eliminate emotion in order for your rational mind to be the one <laughs> in charge of the combat situation. If you get angry, if you get punched in the face and, you're, and you suddenly get angry at your <coughs> opponent and you rush in um, without thinking about it, that's, right. when, that's when you get right. destroyed, right? So, the Jedi way. <laughs> right, so control that emotion, you yeah. know? But you can harness it... Um, if you understand it, right, you have to understand it first. Yeah. And jiu-jitsu allows you a venue to understand it and mm. to do it at your own pace. Um, and it's very physical, so it's not mm. so much like um, seated <coughs> formal meditation, which I practice too. And I'm getting more into yoga, <laughs> uh, especially uh, getting more into restorative yoga.
1: Yeah, I heard your podcast yeah. about Adrian, and that was that was fun to listen to.
0: Yeah, sure. so really working on um, everything in my life sort of revolves around making my like, jujitsu game better. Mm-hmm. so if I'm going to start yoga it's going to be to enhance my jujitsu. yeah it's that balance
1: insane. of it mm-hmm. yep.
0: um, so yeah uh, I'd like to take a little break here okay. uh, so we can get a word from our sponsors um, so stick with us folks and we'll be right back with Michelle uh, we're about to get in some uh, really fun topics of conversation so we'll be right back alright we're back with Michelle Trumbull thank you everyone for sticking around past that uh, quick commercial break and um, Michelle and I left off talking about um, cultivating the Jedi minds, the <laughs> Jedi spirit. Right. Um, and you do that as well through your breathwork. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping, um, you could break down f- for me, you know, I'm really interested in breathwork. I've done breathwork yeah. a few times. I've done a, d- a few different styles. Um, I like different styles differently for different reasons. And, but I'm still quite ignorant as to how many there really are, um, and I was wondering if you could go into what your particular one is and what it what it looks like, if you could describe the, the methodology and what it's, what do you see as far as hmm. like experiences?
1: Oh man, there's such an array of experiences that's, I think that's why it's so incredible. It's like, you can come back. I think I've done, I can't even tell you how many breathwork experiences I've had. And, There's not one that's been similar to the last.
0: But for someone who's listening, Mm -hmm. right? And this is where I was a couple years ago. Someone listening to this right now who has no experience is like, breathwork, what the hell is that? Like, (laughs) I know how to breathe, guys. Like, what's that ever going to do to me, right? Like you said, some people come in. So what is breathwork? What does it do?
1: So so the training that I have done, the transformational breathwork experience, um, is kind of probably a mix between, like, holotropic breathwork and shamanic breathwork. So my teacher's teacher taught shamanic breathwork specifically. Her name is Linda Starwolf. Um, and she's got a couple books um, on on her methods of breathwork. So she taught my teacher um, when she lived out in North Carolina and then, you know, just kind of said, like, I would like to help, I would like love you to spread this out. And so um, she moved back to Colorado, my teacher, to be, uh, she's a native Fort Collins person, but she came back to be with her family and... Um, She met one of my dear friends, um, her partner at the time, and he started to create journey work for her breathwork experiences. So then they started offering breathwork, and then they they decided to, um, my friend Melanie um, decided to come up with this breathwork training. So... So the method that I used is a compilation of all the, all the things that she's gathered with her, with holotropic, with shamanic um, breath work. So, I'm, not,
0: I'm not familiar with, uh, so holotropic is Stan Grof's method, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which is a certain type of breathing. I believe it's um, breathing forcefully in and um, relaxed breath out, right? Over yeah. and over like that, right? That's and the this technique. Is, this is, or yeah. is that forced breath out?
1: It's mostly forced breath yeah. out.
0: Forced breath in, forced so, breath out.
1: Yeah, so it's it, it's mainly to focus on the circular piece of sure. the breathing and not not pausing so much. So it's it's in through the nose, and what we explain to the group is that when you're blowing it out, it's like you're stoking a fire. Mm-hmm. You know, but to keep that circular breath mm-hmm. going in
0: so as as <clears throat> short of pauses as possible between the in and out mm-hmm. breaths consistently, any, right, if you can, yeah. and from what I've found is like it takes a lot of mindfulness to keep that up for the first twenty minutes, yeah. but after that Absolutely. um the how's it the words that was described as what happened to me um the breath starts to breathe you instead Absolutely. of you breathing the breath, the yeah. starts the breath starts to breathe you, and then you don't even. Uh, you're not even conscious that you're yeah, breathing that forget. way and like then you, off their yeah, and you keep breathing that way uh-huh. it's pretty cool yeah so holotropic is this way uh, developed by stan groff um, also really famous for lsd psychotherapy mm-hmm. um, now shamanic breathwork i've heard of it and i studied shamanism a little bit in mm-hmm. my undergrad but i'm really unfamiliar with um, the intricacies of what shamanic breathwork is
1: uh, and you know that can be described in so many different ways but basically we use a lot of shamanic tools in the breathwork space so using you know using drumming and rattles and really helping people go on this deeper inner journey into the underworlds is that you know and that's kind of different ways we can describe it but using shadow world of the earth, yeah yeah absolutely. underworld this shadow is...
0: world being used interchangeably here yeah okay yep,
1: we can say that yeah, so, you know, it's a way for people to connect with their spirit animals, people to really connect with their spirit. So, there's a lot of different ways and, you know, I can't say that I, you know, the transformational breathwork uh, you know, that umbrella kind of covers a lot of details of the holotropic and the shamanic breathwork um practices. So, I can't speak for all shamanic breathwork because there are a lot of shamanic breathworks that are being offered here, but we use specific tools from um, shamanic, sh- well, some of my shamanic training. So... Um, yeah, I would say so we we, we really dive in and using that circular breath. Um, but the biggest the biggest piece obviously is it's a blindfolded experience and that way it kind of shuts off the senses of the eyes. So you're only you're using your internal eye or people call it the third eye to really dive in. Um and then part of the shamanic piece of the breath work is also the music that's offered. And so for the breath work that I offer uh, our my dear friend Daniel Donovan, he creates his own music this own his own journey music, and basically the music moves up through the chakras or moves up and invokes different feelings throughout the whole session mm-hmm. um, so
0: does he use um <clears throat> different uh, frequencies because i i 've uh-huh. heard that yeah that different yeah. chakras resonate at different frequencies, yep. and if you want to make this like a cascade and going through them in a certain order, mm-hmm. you could probably order those frequencies Absolutely. in the music. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: What and so what's really beautiful about the way he puts together music and he puts so much time and effort into his music. So he works with the frequencies. Um there's also different animal sounds mm. that resonate with different chakras or different emotions. So for people that aren't very familiar with with chakra work. You know, it we don't even have to talk about chakra work. There's just different emotions that are held in in different pieces of the body. Mm-hmm. Um and so the music is, is here to take you on a journey to invoke different feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, but he layers his music in such a beautiful way that it's like, yes, we work with different frequencies. There's different animal sounds. There's different nature sounds. Uh, he pulls from different, um, different tribes from all over the world. You know how we use a lot of drumming, a lot of rattles, that kind of thing. Um, but then a lot, a lot of, you know, like piano adding Mm -hmm. in that kind of stuff, some of the softer stuff. So, It's so generally these these uh, journeys are about an hour long and um, to really create a safe and sacred space, which is one of my most important pieces, is, you know, we have an opening circle where we share and I really encourage people to open up and talk about like why they came, Mm. what they want to work on. Um, and so, so setting
0: intentions, setting
1: intentions, and then, and then seeing if we can tap into a little vulnerability about like, what are they, what have they been moving through in the last week or so that's coming up that they need to feel the need to let go. So, so yeah, we set intentions of, you know, what's something that you would like to let go of? What's something that you would like to call in? That kind of thing. And, um, and and I tap into that vulnerable, vulnerable piece of me. I, I talk about where what breathwork did to help me and, and how it helped me move through things. And then we allow everybody to kind of open up. And what's really great is once one person opens up about something, it gives permission to somebody uh, for the next person to mm-hmm. get a little bit more vulnerable. And as it moves around the circle, more and more people are just like the filter's gone and they're able to really share. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a big piece about the transformational breathwork experience is the community and and really working in in the circle of of trust and you know and it you know and I always joke around I was like this is just like Fight Club <laughs> you know whatever stays here whatever happens here it's stays funny here. Funny that you bring
0: in Fight Club into a transformational <laughs> breathwork. But well, in the movie they yeah. they have they reach trans- transformational states through their fighting too.
1: Absolutely that movie was very very uh <laughs> very tapped into yeah. the consciousness. It's very deep. Yeah. And and so that's what happens in the the breathwork space is you know, we'll we'll open up this space and then I'll kind of talk about what the breathwork looks like. So so just like you said, you know when you tap into that breath, um, you'll start breathing for a little while and then will you'll just forget to breathe. And usually that's because people are so high on their breath, mm-hmm. they've gotten so high on the oxygen.
0: Right, physiologically, like it, mm-hmm. it is increasing the amount of oxygen yeah. that the brain is getting. That's why some people. Um, hypothesize that you get the visionary experience yeah. because of the elevated oxygen and and uh, red blood cells and all these things yep. flowing yeah
1: yep, so yeah so in the in my my training we we dive into the scientific aspect of that as well, mm-hmm. just learning how literally you 're getting high off of your own supply <laughs> you know it 's like it's pretty awesome yeah it 's like I can get high anytime I want if mm-hmm. I just like take these deep breaths it 's so awesome and 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 you know we encourage everybody at the beginning of the of the of the circle to stay laying down you know we want everybody to be safe and my my role as a facilitator is to make sure everybody's breathing mm-hmm. in a safe way you know I've had people where they get so into it that they're almost hyperventilating so mm-hmm. it's just my my job to make sure I'm going around and making sure everybody's mm-hmm. breathing but you know when I if I notice in the journey that somebody's not breathing you know I'm not going to analyze it and be like oh they need to breathe I'm just like oh they're off on a they're off on a journey. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, so we don't necessarily encourage people to continually breathe throughout the whole process.
0: You just let it unfold as mm-hmm. it will. Yeah. So if people are like hyperventilating, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I would think that the body would have like an automatic mechanism that would kick in that, like, if they get to a place where it becomes dangerous in any mm-hmm. way, like they'll go unconscious or well, something and like that. Well,
1: oftentimes they'll go into tetany.
0: Yeah, that happened to me in the graph. Like uh, my my hands curled up, Uh my forearms curled up, and my whole back arched. uh, And my whole body rose off the ground. Uh Uh, I was not exerting any energy for that to happen. It it just did that automatically. My neck went back, and it went to such a great extent that I felt... From the base of my skull all the way down to my tailbone, every single vertebrae just pop, like pop, 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 cool. pop, 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 like, and just realign all at once as soon as it just, like, full flex. Yeah. And then released back down into the ground, and I was just like, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. That was amazing. Well,
1: and it's supposed to happen. You know, people, like, that's what I, you know, what I encourage is that perspective thing. It's like, we can look at this as a scary thing, and something bad's about to happen, or we can look at this as like just a, a recognition to kind of slow our breath, or we can look at this as the hands are a direct energy um, line from the heart. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much energetic buildup in the heart space. You know, So many people go through so many traumas and so many addictions and so many things that a lot of energetic walls are built up around the heart to protect them. Mm-hmm. And so in the breathwork space, a lot of times when I have people that are in tetany, generally in their journey, in their inner journey that they're going on, it has a lot to do with what's going on in the heart space. Mm-hmm. And so if I notice somebody in tetany, you know, I'll let them, I'll see if, you know, if they're able to let it go themselves, but I'll keep an eye on them over there while they're while they're doing their thing. And if I notice they're still holding on and they're still like really trying to get a grasp on reality, I'll come and just start gently holding the heart, heart space and, and doing a little tapping. And you'll start to notice things soften because there was just some energetic release mm-hmm. that needed to happen in the heart
0: that makes a lot of sense um that it's a you know it's a, an expression of the heart you mm-hmm. know um because in that particular journey and stan groff's um holotropic breath work was a three-hour session um okay. with evocative music the whole time mm-hmm. um so we're in state for three hours, and I, I remember very clearly my vision that I had from it. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole vision, but it was mm-hmm. closely related to my internal feeling that I needed to take care of my mom mm. uh, because she's been an addict her whole life and uh, was really struggling with depression and suicide and stuff at the time. And um, it seemed to her that all of her family had abandoned her, and that, you know, for me, you know, I saw a little bit of that too, Mm -hmm. some distancing. Um, It's not the family's fault. You know, they they needed to protect themselves. Um, But at the time, um, because I had gone through addiction and recovery myself, I felt like this is my burden to bear. I need Mm -hmm. to be the one in the family to be there for her and when no one else will, you know. And so... This visualization that I had in the breath work um, was really deeply tied to that feeling like I have to take care of her. But the vision that I got was uh, my guardian angel, my grandma, Mm -hmm. my mom's mom, who died in her early 50s of a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. But has always shown up in my life in other ways, uh, like feelings that she's watching over me, or sometimes I'll see almost apparitions, uh, Uh ghosts of her standing in our doorway watching over me. Not scary. And so in this visualization, she just kept saying the word grace. Grace, Grace, and it's not your responsibility. Your mom will be okay. You don't need to take on this, um, this uh, weight, you yeah. know. And that was so tied to the heart. I remember mm-hmm. weeping for an hour straight, um, realizing that I didn't have to carry that if I didn't mm-hmm. want to, and that she would be okay, even if her physical body and her journey resulted in an early death or suicide right. or worst case scenario she would still be okay yeah. her soul would still be okay and it's not my job to prevent
1: any harm
0: on her journey mm-hmm. you know and so after that you know I created <clears throat> a mandala like Roth has you do afterwards I still mm-hmm. have it downstairs it's framed it's beautiful mm-hmm. I love it um they yeah, have very tied to the heart Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So for someone, again, someone who who's hearing this, they're mm-hmm. like, how the hell can breathwork do that? Um, <clears throat> what would be your explanation? Like, how is it helping people? How is breathing helping people tap into soul level mm-hmm. shit? <laughs> right? Because people probably heard of like Wim Hof's breathing methods. Yeah, right. right that's breath work too, yeah. but for a totally different purpose. Yeah. Eyes open, like, let's, let's get your nervous system and yeah. immune system functioning better, right, medical purposes, um, but well, this isn't that.
1: I think it's the addition of, of the music, you know, to invoke those mm. feelings and take you on the journey within. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's the added, the added blindfold experience as well. It's like, we can do all this breathing and meditation and, and, and that kind of stuff, but to really sit with yourself you know, you, you're you forced to go within with the blindfold. You can't take your blindfold off and, and look around. So you're really forced to go on this inner journey. And when you're going on an inner journey, you're going to meet your spirit. You're going to meet your soul. You're going to meet um, these pieces in you. But, you know, prior to going into the journey, I will start to plant seeds. And I will say, you can use this journey to go back. And let's say you experienced something in your childhood and you didn't have anybody there to assist you through this i want you to walk back and just hold yourself and and really be there with you you know so if there was a conversation that you needed an adult and you needed somebody there i invite you to use this space to go back to that exact moment and be with yourself and hold yourself and let them know that it's going to be okay Mm -hmm. so like planting these kind of seeds will kind of help them set their intentions and and eventually they will start to go back in there. I mean they'll you know, in the circle they're like, okay, cool, but it'll that seed'll be planted and using the breath will take them into that, into mm-hmm. that journey. You know, I'll I'll plant lots of seeds like that, you know, uh cord cutting. So if there's people that you feel like you need to just separate yourself from, like I'll invite them in to like go and literally visualize cutting this cord from this person that's toxic in your life that kind of thing so so planting seeds and planting intentions are so important to allowing people to kind of tap into that because some people need just that little bit of guidance um, that kind of thing so I think it's just a combination of everything it's a combination of the blindfold it's a combination of being super oxygenated it's the combination of you know and the music gets really loud so it shuts down everything else around and you feel the actual vibrations of the music, the bass. Mm-hmm. So you feel the the floor moving that kind of thing. Yeah, but you're the, supposed to the feel power, it. Too. Yeah, you're supposed yeah. to feel it. So you can feel the power of the music. So I think it's it's such a layered experience that I think that the breath the breath is this nice guide in there and it's a nice reminder. So, you know, there's a lot of people who act, they they'll get into the experience and they start um They start questioning themselves, like, Am I doing this right? Mm -hmm. Am I, you know, so they start to get back into that analytical brain. And it's when you tap back into the breath, it dissolves that analytical brain a little bit. So it then takes you back into your spiritual journey. So really focusing on the breath takes you away from, you know, like, Oh, what am I going to cook for dinner? What am I going to do tomorrow? I wonder if the babysitter is cool with my kid right now. You know, it's just the breath allows you to dissolve everything else around you and connect back to yourself
0: now is this a practice that people can do relatively safely like on their own or would you suggest like i mean i would always suggest like go get some experience with an Mm experienced facilitator first um but with uh, you know with a lot of visionary journey work uh, once you gain uh, some understanding of the Mm -hmm. ceremony and the respect and what you need to do in your set and setting like you can start to do things a little bit on your own yeah um to enhance your journey work is is mm-hmm. it breath work uh, seem relatively safe to do on your own
1: yeah i mean i would definitely say like for my recommendations just from what i've gone through is it's probably safer to try it out um with a facilitator just so you know just because something like technique technique can come up and mm-hmm. and then you can have this perspective on it like oh my gosh i'm gonna have a panic attack i'm gonna die mm-hmm. and so you don't have that safe facilitator to walk you through it mm-hmm. you know so I, you know, I would recommend just personally that if you're going to journey, especially using this type of breath, to do it with with a facilitator a few times. And then, yeah, and then absolutely go and discover it yourself. You know, um, I d- I've done a lot of journey work by myself, but, you know, it's because I felt confident enough to hold space for myself. A lot of people don't know how to hold space for themselves. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are still... Um, under the impression that they they know how to handle their feelings and that kind of thing but when you're facilitating yourself (laughs) that adds on a whole other analytical side of your brain so you're not able to let go as much because you're trying to analyze this feeling and analyze that whereas like when you have a facilitator you're almost able to let go a little bit deeper because you know somebody else is is taking you through the journey Mm -hmm. Um, but now that I've been doing it yeah like I'll I'll you know my teacher my teacher taught me this Melanie and it's going in the bathtub and putting mm-hmm. your feet up against the wall and listening to the music and doing breath work in the bathtub because mm-hmm. you can get the sensory experience of, of floating, that kind of thing, and, and allowing your breath to, to float in and out of the water. But So that's kind of fun. But, yeah, and and my uh, my friend Daniel that creates the music, he sells it as well so anybody can take the the music home and journey themselves. Nice. Um, and, and you know, and that's why I, I offer a lot of private sessions. So there's a lot of people that are still not sure about the group session. It still it creates a little bit of anxiety mm-hmm. to be in a group session and some people are very they feed off of other people's energies and emotions and that kind of stuff and so they struggle to get into their own body mm-hmm. with or get into their own experience. So I'll offer it you know, one-on-one session, that kind of
0: thing. And for the listeners out there, um, whether you're seeking a breathwork facilitator or a psychedelic, uh, therapy facilitator or a therapist, mental health therapist, you need to make sure that you are interviewing these people before committing to something. Um, especially around this issue of trust, uh, trust and touch. Mm -hmm. Um, because a lot of uh, sexual misconduct does happen in these circles. Um, And it's something that needs to be brought to light and needs to be spoken about because um, people who are inexperienced will go to, you know, visionary circles and Mm -hmm. um, be sexually assaulted and have no, no idea that that's not supposed to be a part of the experience, right? mm -hmm. Right. And so they'll assume like, oh, this is this is okay. There must be something wrong with me, Um, but it's not okay. And people need to. I love that you ask for permission. Uh, I do that as well in therapy, too. Uh, If I'm going to use any sort of physical touch, I always ask permission first. And your therapist or your facilitator out there, folks, should be asking your permission. Um, There should not ever be any unwanted touch, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to touch on that real quick. Yeah, yeah. But um, I do want to switch gears just a little bit uh, because we talked a lot about breath work. But in preparation for this podcast, um, today I've been reflecting a lot about who you are, and who you are to me, mm-hmm. and who I am to you, and our history together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we, we went to school from like sixth grade up until uh, end of high school, um, and so I've been recounting all these memories, mm-hmm. right? And mostly good memories, Yeah. so that's yeah. good. Um, but what I found interesting was like I hold certain memories of our experiences together, and what I was wondering was, does she... Uh, when she thinks of me, does yeah. she think of the same experiences or does yeah. she think of different experiences huh. that sort of remind her of who I am Yeah. and what do you remember of me? So what was coming to my mind today as I was trying to remember uh, who we were is, um, you know, seventh grade, uh, I was dating a girl. I'm not going to mention her name, put mm-hmm. her on blast, but I was dating yeah. a girl in seventh grade and you were her best friend, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I remember that quite vividly, you know, spending almost all of seventh grade, uh, you know, we were always hanging out together. Right. So I remember that we were all pretty straight laced back then. Um, and then I have memories of, uh, my birthday party where we went rock climbing.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Remember? And you (laughs) were there.
0: So I still have pictures of that. So that's a very fond memory I have of, of you uh, being uh, at the birthday party and rock climbing. And, um, so see, this is, this is the point I'm getting at. So I bring up this memory and you're like, oh yeah, now I remember that. So mm-hmm. that's obviously not something when you think of Shane, that's not like one of the first memories that come to your mm-hmm. mind. So it's interesting how we have different memories right. of a same, similar shared experience. Mm-hmm. Like we don't hold on to the same little tidbits. Yeah, yeah. Um, So for you, what are some of the most impactful memories that you've had from our time in childhood?
1: <laughs> oh, Good man. or
0: bad, you know? Yeah,
1: right. It's so interesting, you know, and it's so interesting for me because memory is one of the things I struggle with the most, Uh, and I think that was because heavily due to around that time experiencing sexual trauma and like that part of my brain, the memory part, I shut down, so it's been really interesting with the work I've been doing to try to like go back and, and remember all of that stuff, and I don't know if you remember, but a good friend of mine tried to commit suicide when we were in, in middle school. So a lot of that trauma was like clouding me. So it was just such an interesting, it's so interesting when I try to re- remember back to middle school and high school, my memory is so foggy mm. about a lot of stuff. Um, so it, it for to recall a lot of that stuff can be really difficult. So it was just funny because, you know, when you when we were talking about doing this podcast i was trying to really think back i'm like i remember hanging out and i remember like having so much fun and i remember you know you being so cool and and having this house that everybody was coming over to and and i remember you know i remember certain certain aspects and um and pieces of it but it, it's such an interesting thing to you know it's 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 hard for me cuz it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know I miss so much of my childhood and so much of, of high school because I, I can't literally unlock some of that stuff and mm-hmm. going back into my brain. So it's, you know, I have all these memories of us hanging out, but to like pick out specific things like mm-hmm. that is really difficult for me mm-hmm. to do.
0: Sure. Well, trauma so, will, will affect the wiring yeah. for sure for the memory recall. Yeah. Um, it almost jades it, jades the experience a little yeah. bit. Um, I just thought it was an interesting idea, like how, uh, you know, because this podcast is all about consciousness and not just individual consciousness, but shared and collective Mm -hmm. consciousness. And I thought it was really interesting to think about how, um, you know, we have shared experience, but we have individualized memories of the Mm -hmm. same experience. Um, You know, uh, you hear this a lot with like 9-11 people uh, or not 9-11 people, Mm -hmm. but we were all 9-11 people. But like that event happened. Uh, it happened to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, the, we all experienced it, but we all have different memories of that day. Right. We all have different memories of how we remembered it happening, and they don 't always line up with each other right that 's right. why there 's debate about um, experiences too. I just thought that that was interesting, but also um, now that we 're talking about, it, I think it 's interesting how people can hold on to a very specific memory of someone. Uh, this mm-hmm. is an aspect of consciousness, right so for instance we hadn't talked for over a decade probably right. after high school and I then I don't even know how we got back in touch but all of a sudden you know I reached out on Facebook or something and and uh, you were so down and willing to meet up at a coffee shop right mm-hmm. so obviously or hopefully you had mostly a positive memory yeah, of who absolutely. Shane was right
1: well I remember having great conversations with mm-hmm. you I can I can tell you that like I remember that like there were specifically a couple times I remember have, like, having like really great cool conversations with you. I couldn't tell you what they were, mm-hmm. but I could tell you that there was like some kind of really cool connection. Mm. And so then when I saw you, um, it was a local mental health office that we had both worked at, and I was like, oh man, like there I had remembered just that specific connection. But like I said, mm-hmm. the details are gone. Right,
0: but, but you remember like a good story attached yeah, to who Shane is, mm-hmm. whereas. I can talk to, and I have talked to other people I went to school with, mm-hmm. and their story about me is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, if I asked them, what do you remember about me? They would tell me, you were that druggy kid
1: uh-huh. who,
0: um, who I couldn't hang out with, uh, I didn't want to hang out with because you were an asshole, right? Yeah. And um, so different people have different memories of me, mm-hmm. even though that's not who I am today. But like, I'll s- so for instance, like, I saw this person I hadn't seen since high school, mm-hmm. and they... When I saw them out in public, they were like actively trying to get away from me, like (laughs) shying away from me. And I, I, you know, I found them again in the, I think it was the grocery store. And I'm like, Hey, what's up? Like, and I could tell that they were uneasy. Mm -hmm. Um, and the more we got to talking, they're like, yeah, you know, I just remember you being this person that I didn't want to associate with this Mm -hmm. person that, um, was a, you know, an asshole, a bad person, you know, because I was at one point in my drug use career. And, um. They held on to that memory of me all these years, and had always thought, Shane's an asshole, Shane's an asshole. But then, you know, they met me 15 years later, and they're like, oh, wait, you're not an asshole. You were just an asshole yeah. then, yeah. you know, and so their memory can change, mm-hmm. you know, and so I just think that's an interesting aspect of consciousness. The stories, not only that we hold about ourselves, but that we oh. hold about other people, yeah. and how... That's kind of unfair, right? Totally. If I hold a story about someone about something that happened in high school, and they're totally different today, I have no idea. Yeah. You know.
1: Well, and that's the aspect of, you know, there, we are were, we we're always told that oh, people can't change, people can't change, and mm-hmm. you know I think people change so drastically, but you know even even looking back is like my perspective of people. In high school, because I had dealt with so much trauma, I had such a different perspective that I didn't look at people's behaviors as who they were, you know, back then. So even if you were an asshole at some times, like, I would have never just been like, oh, you're an asshole. I would have, you know, I just looked at like, oh. He's having an asshole moment. Mm. You know, so my. He's very
0: mature for your high
1: school yeah, age. Yeah, well, and I feel like it was, you know, all the, the traumas and that kind of mm. stuff that I had gone through because, you know, the way I projected out into the world was so different from what my soul was. You know, it was just like, but I have to be this tough, badass, like, you know, chick that nobody can fuck with me and I can, you know, I'm going to drive this truck and nobody can fuck with me. Well, I had to put that out there because if you saw me as soft, then I was vulnerable and then yeah. something bad could happen, you know, so it was just like, you know, I already had this. Aspect of, you know, I'm going to project in a different way so that I can't be hurt.
0: But it, Yeah, it, it probably provided a layer of safety.
1: Totally, you know? totally. But then it, it allowed me to see that in other people. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I see your actions, but I actually see what's going on behind it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, that's why I'm in this work now. Yeah, so you're, I can call people yeah. bullshit. Your all pain
0: day. allowed you to identify pain in other people. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Yeah, and I can
1: remove the veils cuz I'm like, "Oh, we can blend our trauma together." And now that veil's dropped. Now I can see you. Yeah.
0: We can all connect on that level. Totally. Everybody experiences suffering. Mm-hmm. Everybody experiences pain. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's a different, we all go through it's it. It's
1: all trauma. Yeah, it's all affected. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what I love about this podcast and talking about consciousness in general is that consciousness is something that we all experience mm-hmm. you know it's not like I'm talking about like a 57 Chevy and only the people who have 57 Chevys identify with what I'm talking <laughs> right. about right like right. this is such an important topic mm-hmm. um consciousness and how we deal with ourselves and deal with the world and deal with reality because we all deal with it
1: exactly who's um, not aware of it all the yeah time.
0: <laughs> and so many people are turned off uh-huh. um turned off to to the idea that they can even explore the mind the mind yeah. space right that there's so much there it's
1: so expansive
0: <laughs> it's amazing right it's yeah. like every single movie ever created times infinity <laughs> I know. you know all in this one <laughs> mental library that we can access uh-huh. at any eternally. time eternally so that leads me to uh, you know a, a really deep question uh, mm-hmm. and i asked it to to adrian in the last uh, episode you probably heard it but you know what does um, what does consciousness mean to you, and like how do you how do you conceptualize consciousness, mm-hmm. and like how do you how do you um, engage with it every day?
1: I mean, it ta- I, it's taken a lot of practice. It's taken a lot of discipline, you know. And I don't, I guess I don't like the word discipline, <laughs> but it's taken a lot of practice. But you know, I am such a, a creature of curiosity that I actively look for ways to delve into my consciousness even more <laughs> as as often as I can and make it make it a make it a constant thing and so, you know, even just setting up this like daily meditation to really tap into my consciousness, to really tap in and ask my you know, I, I go through same thing when I ask clients to check in with their body, mentally, physically, um, spiritually and emotionally, you know, tapping in. But um So
0: for you it's like a A daily uh, practice, Mm -hmm. but it's intentional Mm -hmm. because you see the value in it. Absolutely, because
1: it sets the tone for the day. It totally does. You know, it. it, it And throughout the day, uh huh. Because the tone changes. Yeah, I don't do it. I notice that I'm just a little bit more on edge, and I'm not, and I'm not using more conscious thought with my decisions throughout the Mm -hmm. day.
0: So you use it in a um, preemptive fashion, Uh okay, Mm -hmm. setting yourself up Mm -hmm. in the in the beginning of the day. But do you also use it throughout the day too?
1: I try to. (laughs) You know, it's 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 always gonna be a work in practice you know a work in progress I think for me um, because I am human too there's there's just times where it's like I'm gonna have human reactions to things but you know as I go out through go throughout the day because I've been practicing for so long um, with being consciously aware of how I how I interact throughout the day you know I'll have I'll have somebody ask me a question, and I, and, it, and usually I used to have this knee-jerk reaction to answer it, but now I, I sit and, and really feel into questions, I sit and really feel into, you know, or if somebody invites me to go and do something, I sit and feel into, okay, like, is this going to serve me today? Yes, yeah, we so talk about my... your process
0: coming to the podcast today.
1: <laughs> yeah. that's
0: a perfect example of feeling yeah, it into was, it right yeah, It
1: was so interesting because you had sent me the question you know over messenger, and so I read it, and I was like, instead of like saying yes right away i I thought about it, and I was like, well, that's uncomfortable. I've never done any kind of podcast or or anything like that and so so instantly I was like, oh, there's some fear there, but For me, I, whenever fear comes up for me, I'm just like, okay, so on the other side of that is growth. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't scare away from fear anymore.
0: You associate fear with a positive. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's just like, okay, this is something, I'm being presented with a challenge or a new, Mm -hmm. a new aspect that I haven't done anymore. So my knee-jerk reaction was to be like, no, I'm good, you know. Mm And I sat with it and I was like, no, this could be, this could be really fun. I can, I can really do this. So that's what I told, you know, and, and being fully honest with you, you know, just by saying like, yeah, this makes me really uncomfortable. I'll do it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so being very mindful of, of being very, um, transparent, you know, um, I find my communication with people to be very transparent these days. Um, I'll express how I'm feeling and and really try to be mindful about the words that I'm using but also being very transparent if somebody is fucking bothering me I'm going to tell them like hey like this really triggered the shit out of me let's Mm -hmm. talk about this
0: I wish I could do more of that (laughs) it's
1: not easy it's Mm -hmm. not easy because people don't you know I've been seen as a very stoic person like very like you don't have very much empathy and it's not that I don't it's just that I I don't attach myself to as much emotions in the moment
0: yeah so much. me too so, yeah so and i don 't see anything wrong with that it 's more of a right. Buddhist philosophy, mm-hmm. but it 's hard to understand that point of view from a western western Absolutely. mindset right yeah. so so that 's happened to me too where where someone will be pouring their guts out to me, and i won 't necessarily show my empathy on my face, yeah, but yeah. I feel it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not as attached to it because of my understanding that it's all illusory anyway right, and it's right. transitory and it's going to pass and you know in 5 years this is not going to matter anyway and blah exactly. blah blah. Yeah. And um so that's been very helpful. Uh also in situations of death too, you mm-hmm. know. When someone someone dies in my life, I um I think of death differently. From a Buddhist perspective, it's not a it's not something to I mean their physical body's gone. But it's something yeah. to be celebrated. Like, yeah, they're on to the next tragedy. Like, right.
1: it is a tragedy, but it's not. But it, like, I don't feel the tra- the tragic. Right. Yeah, I'm the same and way.
0: So I rarely cry when people in my life die and others outside of me who see that response mm-hmm. from me give me shit for that. They're mm-hmm. like, you're the most in- in- uncompassionate person, and I, you know, whatever. I'm like... You know, that really hurts that you say that. Yeah. Um, it's tough to I'm receive. sorry. That's not really who I am. I, I really do feel it, but yeah. um, I don't feel it like you do, you yeah. know. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that no. we, we go about it either.
1: No, and I, and I do practices to tap back into my emotions. Like, mm-hmm. I make sure that I practice exactly what I share. I go into experiences, journey work, so that I can tap back into my emotions. Because I do feel, I love the cathartic release. Like, when I'm able yeah. to finally cry, I fucking love it. I just can't do it all the time.
0: Right. I, I have to force myself almost yeah. sometimes. Like, uh, yeah. I had a bulldog um, who died Uh, He was only four years old Mm -hmm. And he died in my arms Took his last breath And I could not bring myself to cry I tried And I tried to force those tears out Sitting there with him in my arms Not breathing I tried And I couldn't Um, And I had to call my partner at the time And be like Look I don't know what's wrong with me Mm -hmm. He's he's laying here in my arms She's bawling on the phone And I just can't cry What I had to do is uh, That night After I wrapped him up And everything um, Said my piece I put on the movie Marley and Me because uh-huh. I knew it was going to be sad, <laughs> right? And I knew that it was going to probably make me cry. But I needed something. I needed a catalyst that was going to
1: an invitation. Sh- to yeah, it. yeah, something
0: to show me it's okay to cry, even if it's it's okay to cry at the movie. And then it turned into it's okay to cry that your dog <laughs> yeah. just died, yeah. right? So um, sometimes I'll have to find creative ways to elicit uh-huh. the emotion that I know is appropriate for the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. It's like I, you know. I I definitely have friends that feel like I'm just like, you know, you're just this cold person and it's, and it's really, it's so hurtful to hear that because it's just because like I, you know, I, I use specific tools to work with my emotions and then I don't let them run my life. So I don't fall into it, but you know, I, I love when I do it, you know, and it was, It was so interesting the other day, and like as you brought up Frankie, so she's two and a half right now, so she's really feeling into all the feelings. And so it's been really interesting as she's been displaying anger and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing and like moving through anger and, you know as a parent like you immediately want to just be like no don't feel like this don't you know stop calm down like you need to calm down you need to do this and and I've been really struggling the last several months with trying to figure out how to navigate and facilitate her feelings and how she's moving through them and not try to stop them but also you know the way she's expressing them is not healthy because she's trying to hit and punch and bite and that kind of stuff and so um the other day, I, I ended up, I was just like, okay, she needs to feel through this anger. And so I kind of I kind of just sat there, and I was like, I'm just going to let her express it. And I'm not going to have any feeling to it. I'm not going to attach it, because...
0: So you're not going to respond to right, it. Right, so yeah, that, I, I You're I not, not giving responding. her a reaction. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I
1: was reacting. For the last couple of months, I've been reacting to her anger and letting it boil up in me and doing that. And so the other day, I was just like, I'm just going to, you know, I was just like, I encourage adults to let it out and mm-hmm. do all this stuff okay, I can facilitate my kid. And so I I facilitated her getting angry and she was using me (laughs) to let her anger out. And and that's not something that I'm going to encourage on a daily basis. But I just wanted to feel into it. Just be like, beat on me. You know, whatever you need to do. And after, after she did that, it was so incredible because... Then I kind of encouraged her. I was like, yes, let it out. Like, scream. And she did. And then she came over and just melted into my arms. And we both just bawled. We both just Mm -hmm. cried. And it was just such a beautiful catharsis (laughs) for both of us to to really feel into that emotion and let it release. But, you know, being able to to have her (laughs) evoke that type of emotion in me was so beautiful. Because for a while i was it was evoking so much anger and that wasn't doing any good for any of us and she she evoked this beautiful <laughs> i mean we both bawled for for mm-hmm. a good half hour and it was just so beautiful and i was like yes i needed to probably do this a little bit more but you know to shift from anger to to just crying was sure. you know it was so beautiful but it's just i think that's why i love about sharing the, the breathwork experience is that we need safe places To have these emotions evoked so that we we have a safe outlet yeah yeah
0: Um, with a lot of uh, psychedelic work as well and you see this at festivals like someone will have taken too much of a drug or something and uh, they're in the middle of some crazy interchange process and then uh, security sees them and and it's like oh this person's freaking out they strap them to a, oh, a stretcher yeah. and then inject like this tranquilizer into them right <sighs> so there's this uh, philosophy in the in the psychedelic world that that is the biggest no no ever Absolutely. right like if someone's in the middle of a process of any kind the worst thing you can do is interrupt that process Absolutely. the best thing you can do is let them work all the way through the process mm-hmm. to some resolution right by yeah. by stopping the process in its tracks what you're actually doing is you're intensifying the problem and yeah. not giving them an outlet to come to resolution
1: Yeah, it's cutting it off and it's yep. like somebody that you're not letting them mm-hmm. speak it's like now they're yeah. gonna yell at you later you know it's, it's so that that's when we thing.
0: see like uh, psychosis develop after um, psychedelic experiences yep. too is when people have unresolved stuff yep and same thing can be said for any emotion like anger with your daughter right mm-hmm. And for any of you parents out there, like if your kid is displaying anger or something, and you just put a stop to the process right there and stop it, um, that anger is going to become repressed. Absolutely, it's going to come out in other ways. Yeah. Uh, it's going to come out when you least expect it. Rather, just let them cathartically release it mm-hmm. and come to resolution, and you find you know joy <laughs> yeah. and and tears of happiness Connection. and things. Connection, <laughs> yeah. Right. So maybe teaching teaching our kids like it's okay to be angry. Feel Number it. one, yeah. it's okay to feel it. Here's a productive way to get it out. Like put put their mattress up against the wall and wail on it. Yeah. But you're only allowed to do that with pillows and mattresses, not on people, right? And teaching them proper ways to get that Mm -hmm. cathartic release, um, I think, is awesome.
1: Yeah. I mean, then the the last couple days that she's moved through, she's gotten a little irritated, and I, you know, and I kind of just give her this little nudge of like, okay, Mm -hmm. you can let that out, but not not on me anymore. Mm -hmm. And you know how you know you know how that hurt me and that kind of thing. And and she's apologizing, and it's just so cute to see her, you know, because I finally just let her just, like, get it all out in one sitting, it's it's dissipated in the last couple of days, and it's been such a, a beautiful thing, and I feel like it's the same thing in the breathwork space, it's, like, allowing that shadow to be expressed in the way that it needs to be expressed, whether that's dancing, whether that's, you know, like, in the in the experience, I encourage people to scream in the in the space. I encourage people to punch their pillows. I encourage people to cry. I encourage people to sing. I encourage people to get up and dance. However it needs to get out, you know, let it be expressed so it, then it finally dissipates. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, but to do that ourselves as facilitators is also very important, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's why I sign up for, you know, I'm like, so in the past it's like I, I facilitate, but then I also need to do my own journey work mm-hmm. and, I, and I've and i so appreciated my psychedelic journeys mm-hmm. you know because then I can really tap into into my um, into my emotions again and, and let things flow freely
0: walking the path yeah yeah. so I'm going to ask you about uh, Michael Pollan
1: mm-hmm. okay yeah. so
0: you're reading um, a book by his what's the title again? yeah I'm
1: listening to his audio book called How to Change Your Mind How to
0: Change Your Mind and I yeah. think uh, honestly I think I own that book but I haven't gotten yeah. around to reading it yet yeah um, I'm fascinated by Michael Pollan and his other work. Um, so I'm really excited to read the book, but
1: yeah, I'm not too far into mm-hmm. it, but I'm, I'm really excited. I've got a lot of girlfriends that we do a lot of, um, psychedelic work and, and that kind of thing. And just, just, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm still just getting into it, but it's, it's gonna, it's, it's very opening. It's very interesting, but
0: what are you learning you know, so far? Or did I put you on the spot? Yeah, probably.
1: (laughs) Yeah, trying to think about, like, you know, some of the stuff that he is opening up in the book is stuff that I've been working with um, for a while. And it's so funny because I sent you a picture of the book last night and then I probably should have, because it's been a little while since I've actually listened to it. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember a lot of it. But, um, you know, and I don't know exactly what he's talked about. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say... A lot about it because now I can't remember and I don't want to try to quote his book but I, I'm aware of his work
0: Okay, and you would highly um, suggest it to to yeah. listeners yeah me too. absolutely
1: I think I think we in this culture we're so afraid of psychedelics because of the stigma on it and I think that the more knowledge that we can have and the more information that we can bring um, can have a better understanding because there's there's such a lack of understanding of psychedelics and their work with um, especially mental health mm-hmm. I mean I I turned to it and I started doing journey work and um, and working with with facilitators because of course I you know I dabbled in psychedelics when I was in high school and that kind of thing but I was not conscious I wasn't setting intentions I wasn't listening to the right music when I was working with it I wasn't
0: how how would you go about it in high school and I think I was probably present for a couple of those yeah 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 <laughs> just ingesting totally it were. and yeah, then just
1: ingesting it and having a real out. good time mm-hmm. and you know and I had quote unquote bad trips and that kind of thing. Um, but I perceived them as bad because they scared the shit out of me and nobody was around to help me work through it.
0: Or put some context to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Or give you guidance on how to approach those things. Yeah,
1: like, let's talk about this, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. So so my more recent work with it, it's like making sure to have a facilitator there, making sure to set that set that space up, having a safe space to do that, having a facilitator walk you through. So if you do come up against some edges that create fear or anxiety that somebody's able to really help you walk through it, um, with courage, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and using, you know, it to have, to have a setting is so important. Um, I would never, ever recommend, I mean, not that I would never recommend recreational use of the medicine, but in my experience, using it in a sacred way and using it with, you know, quote-unquote trip-sitters or facilitators that are familiar with the medicine, um, and having the guided music or guided poetry to walk you through it is so important mm-hmm. to the work. Um, even if you're having a, a bad trip, it's not really a bad trip. It's something to teach you something more. I mean, I've had psychedelic experiences where I feel like I'm dying, mm-hmm. and and the, the lessons that I've learned from that have been so profound, mm-hmm. so profound. Yeah, so... me
0: too. I've had those experiences of dying. um, <laughs> Usually it's just ego death at right. the time.
1: exactly. Um,
0: but yeah, you come back from that almost like you would from a real near-death experience. Absolutely. Like Number one, with a greater appreciation for life mm-hmm. and a uh, greater vision for uh, simple beauty around yeah. you, right? Yeah. Being able to come out of that and you can look at a blade of grass and be like, this is so amazing. Yes, yes. The whole universe in this one little thing, right? Um, uh-huh. But also help with overcoming fear of death. Right? because a lot of our fear in everyday life is driven around this idea of fear of dying or mortality and mm-hmm. you come back from those experiences of ego death and you realize that you're so much more than just your body mm-hmm. that you're uh, and more than your ego that your exactly. ego can dissolve that your body will disintegrate uh, eventually mm-hmm. you know but there is this part of ourselves that is eternal mm-hmm. um, it's infinite and that I believe is consciousness you know, uh, that's yeah. that deeper yeah. level that lives on energetically, um, forever. Yeah. Um, so you come out of these experiences and having experienced your death, maybe <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep, a couple
1: times. <laughs> yeah.
0: Then you, yeah. you come back and, and, you feel more alive, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic.
1: Well, I, so, don't, I no longer live from fear. It's like exactly. okay, I've seen now. I've seen what's behind the veil. Right. So now I'm going to have the best human experience mm-hmm. I could possibly have.
0: Mm-hmm. And without, and with that fear of death and mortality being removed, it provides so much more opportunity for yeah. for growth. It's like it's like you have a garden there, but all the fear is weeds growing right. out. But then you pull all the weeds, and now you just have mm-hmm. fresh soil yeah. ready for planting of whatever you want. Yeah. And create. now I'm
1: willing to try so much more. It's like, okay, so here's what's on the other side. It looks really amazing and I'm not having to worry about pain. You know, I'm not having to worry about the human piece of that. And so now now I'm not afraid to take chances here. Now yeah. it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna create and manifest whatever I can and fail as often as I can because mm-hmm. in the end none of it matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I've I've seen, you know, to be able to lift that veil and just understand that we are just consciousness on the other side, it's like that's have some fucking fun mm-hmm. here, mm-hmm. you know, and and not worry about like how things are gonna end and and that kind of thing. I have no fear of it. If I was to pass tomorrow, I'd be totally satisfied with my journey so far.
0: Mm-hmm. I would agree with that for mm-hmm. myself too. Yeah, um, yeah, it really makes life so much more beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, I think I don't know your history, your timeline of psychedelic use, but mm-hmm. I I have a feeling that yours and I's, is uh, Fairly similar with Mm -hmm. definitely some differences. But we both started out with recreational use. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, though, how did you find your way into using it from a different mindset? How did you make that switch from one to the other, um, from using it recreational to now using it ceremoniously Mm -hmm. um, and for inner growth?
1: Well, I mean, when I was using it before, it was like using it to escape, using it to drown out using it to like not be Michelle anymore it was Mm -hmm. like I'm gonna I'm gonna put her aside and I'm gonna go and do this and then and then after um, I was dating somebody that he he was a severe alcoholic and we went through a lot of that and so we just went sober for for the longest time you know Mm -hmm. I stopped drinking and stopped everything and then I started doing inner journey work using the breath and then I was like wow
0: the breathwork was sort breath of your reintroduction. Was my,
1: my reintroduction, and, mm-hmm. and because breath, the transformational breathwork experience is completely psychedelic. Totally. You know, you can have a completely psychedelic experience without mm-hmm. the drugs, the medicines, that kind of thing. Um, Some of the most
0: powerful visions I've had have been breathwork. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And you know, so if there's people that are really wanting to seek that psychedelic experience, but are a little bit nervous to to try out psychedelics, you know, the breathwork experience mm-hmm. is a is a beautiful way to tap into that. Um, but yeah, like I, I started really doing so many breath works that I was like, wow, there's there's still more, there's still more. And so, um, yeah, so then I, I was just called to it. And then and then it came into my my awareness and, and came into my life. And and I, and, I <laughs> and when I was invited into it, it was like, OK, there's no more messing around. Like you need to clean your body out. We need to have respect for the medicine and we need to. We need to make sure that we're doing in this in a very ancient and ceremonious way, so so respecting the medicine before you come in, so really really um, you know when you're working with different shamans, different teachers, they will deny you if they don't think that you have enough respect for the medicine. they'll say, you know you can't work with this mm-hmm. um, and so so really, it's like you have to prove yourself, you have mm-hmm. to prove that you're you're ready and worthy to to, um, work with the medicine. And so you have to, you have to do a lot of inner work before you even work with the medicine. So it's, you know, um, we've, we've done a lot of, uh, cleaning out our body. They call it dieta, where you clean out your body of, of all the, all the foods and all the things that can, can do that. But when, when you're cleaning your body out, it's not just the physical body, it's also the mental. And, 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 uh, so what you're, what kind of books you're reading what Mm -hmm. kind of shows you're watching
0: yeah so we talk about diet we're not just talking about nutritional diet but what are you feeding yourself what are are you feeding your brain what are you listening to what are you Uh watching
1: so taking cleanses from social media because Mm -hmm. there's so much negativity I mean now I'm at the point where my social media circle is pretty much a lot of like-minded people for me so Mm -hmm. I don't get a lot of things that are triggering to me but yeah like you know I'm a fan of horror movies (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know if I was ever to work in ceremony, it's like okay, that stuff is not something that I need to be putting into my brain before I go and sit in ceremony, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's it's making sure that you are clearing your body of anything that um, can 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 elicit the the fear and that kind of thing. But also the fear is necessary. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: And sometimes when you go in a, with a completely clear mind. And you think that you don't have any fear to work on the medicine will show you that there's <laughs> yeah. still fear there
1: yeah it, it's an ego destroyer it's yeah. like oh that's really cute that you thought that you could just come in and have this light experience mm-hmm. it's it's gonna rock your world and, yeah. and make you surrender more than you've ever surrendered before to the process and you know it's it's been such an enlightening experience but i've had like it's so humbling too um to work with medicine because it's it is because you, you go in with certain expectations and you're given something um, that you that you had no idea that you needed to work on. and But I think the biggest piece with medicine work is integration. Mm-hmm. It's like you can go, anybody can constantly go, you know, the, there's this spiritual movement that everybody's like going to all these countries and, and doing work with all of this medicine work. And then they're coming back and saying that I'm super enlightened and spiritual, but they're not doing the actual work. Mm-hmm. The work isn't with the medicine, the work is integration. And mm-hmm. so that's... How can we take that experience into into our everyday lives? And so that's how I work with it now. It's like I used to use it recreationally, but now I take the, the lessons that I've learned from it and integrate it into my life. So, you know, it's like now now I do the, the breathwork experience. Now I really work on meditating and, and mm-hmm. working in restorative yoga, yoga nidra, mm-hmm. um, that kind of stuff, to really be able to tap back into those experiences, but integrate it and do the work. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what I help with people with is uh, psychedelic integration okay. as well. So I'm listed on the MAPS website for oh, nice. psychedelic integration therapist. There's not many of us here in this area, but I would agree that the integration piece is the most important if you want the most benefit from it. Absolutely. Like the medicine is going to do its work on you whether you like it or not. And uh-huh. it's going to be, again, all for your benefit. Mm-hmm. So even if you have a really challenging experience, it's going to be for your benefit. And, yeah. and if any of the listeners out there going through anything in your life, including psychedelic experiences, but even if you're going through, um, you know, depression or abuse or, um, tragedy in your life, keep reminding yourself this mantra that it's all for your benefit. Mm-hmm. It's all for your benefit. Even Absolutely. if you can't see it right now, it is yeah. all for your benefit and you will eventually 50, 50, uh, or 2020 hindsight, mm-hmm. you will see, you know, that it's, uh, it's for your benefit. But anyway, um, I forgot where I was going with that. But
1: with your integration.
0: Yeah, but with the integration, um, you know, you get so much information. It's like an information download during yes. the journey work and then um without doing anything with that, then that information is is sort of lost, uh-huh. you know? And Henry Rollins, one of my favorite idols, uh mm-hmm. says knowledge without mileage is bullshit. And mm-hmm. what that means is you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't do anything with it, then it's just up in your brain not serving you, not yeah. serving anyone else. So what do we do with the knowledge and how do we put it into action? How do we take the insights given to us by the medicine and integrate it in a way that we can create positive change Mm -hmm. um, by changing um, maladaptive habits or by uh, improving relationships or by making decisions that we have been holding off on or from anything. So yeah, I would agree with you. Integration is the biggest piece and uh, I think that's a good way for us to to mm-hmm. close out today,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so again, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, hope to have you on again. We have, yeah. a, I think we have a I lot more to talk brush about.
1: Some things, yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. So, thank if you.
0: if your listeners, if our listeners want to get a hold of you or find your uh, breathwork sessions mm-hmm. or find you on social media, how can they do that?
1: Uh, so you can find me on on Facebook and Instagram as just Michelle Trumble, M I C H E L L E T R U M B L E. Uh, I am just about ready to publish my website, which will show all of the sessions, so I take people um, hiking, I also do art processing sessions, um, and that kind of thing, and then um, I have a shadow work program uh, that I walk people through, so you can find all of that at breakingopen.org. Uh, it's not published yet today, but it will be published in the next several days, um, breakingopen.org. And that's where you can find a lot of my things. But I, um, on Facebook, you can find um, my monthly transformational breathwork experiences, as as well as many others. I have a lot of facilitators in the area now that have just graduated. So breathwork is is growing, nice. um, quite quite largely. So it's it's pretty exciting. Okay,
0: and I'll make sure for all you guys listening out there, I'll put uh, her website on the description, um, so you can find her information online. Check her out on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out a breathwork circle. You will not yeah. regret it. You know it's it's a it's a safe, legal way to experience the psychedelic mindset mm-hmm. and to explore your consciousness. Um, it's it's infinite and it's fascinating. So, uh, for all you listeners out there, thanks for listening. Um, check out our YouTube. Check out Michelle's stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, check out our website mindops.com. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Peace. Mm-hmm. Another fantastic podcast in the books. Um, So I hope you folks enjoyed that conversation with Michelle. I know I did. Uh, We covered so much interesting ground. And we have so much more to uh, discover and to to talk about and to go deeper with. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Please continue to like and share our posts as we put them up on social media and please continue to share the podcast with your family and friends uh, not just through social media but also through word of mouth so that's how people get turned on to the podcast and can become part of the conversation so please 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 like and share that's the best way you can support continue listening and if you feel like this information is um, valuable to you in any way please feel free to donate any amount is uh, welcome anything from 50 cents a dollar five dollars ten dollars whatever you feel uh that this content is worth to you please feel free to donate there should be a link at at the bottom of whatever um, podcast app you're using to listen to this on also please check out our mind ops youtube page that's m-i-n-d hyphen o-p-s check out the youtube page for a number of videos we're going to be uploading our podcast there soon. Just got the GoPro in and putting it together. So still going to try and figure out how to work that for future in-person podcasts and get that up for you all to watch our podcast as they happen. So please continue to watch. Thank you for listening. Um, and we'll talk to you guys at the next episode.